Really delighted to see so many people here. It's really reinvigorating to see all of you. And we will start by calling the roll. Uh, Commissioner Chung. Present. Commissioner Christian. Present. Commissioner Dorado. Present. Commissioner Green. Present. Commissioner Guillermo. Present. And Commissioner Chow. Uh, present. Wonderful. Uh, Commissioner Chow will read the land acknowledgement. Thank you. The San Francisco Health Commission acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatush, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatush Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatushaloni community and by affirming sovereign rights as First Peoples. Thank you, Commissioner Chow. The next item on the agenda is the approval of the minutes of the Health Commission meeting of February 2nd, February 6th, 2024. Um, the minutes are before you, commissioners. Are there any corrections or additions to the minutes? All right, hearing none, is there a motion to approve? I so move to approve. Second. And then is there any public comment on the minutes? Uh, let me check, commissioners. Is there any uh, anyone in the room would like to make comment on the minutes? Okay. Uh, let me just check real quickly to see if there are any hands up. Okay, great. No, um, no hands. So, uh, I will do a roll call vote because we have a remote uh, participant. Commissioner Chow, how do you vote on this item? Yes. Commissioner Guillermo? Yes. Commissioner Green? Yes. Commissioner Dorado? Yes. Commissioner Christian? Yes. And Commissioner Chung? Yes. All right, the minutes are approved. Thank you. Thank you. The next item is general public comment, and Secretary Morowitz has a statement to make before we begin to take general public comment. Sure. I'd like to first uh, remind folks that uh, starting um, uh, January 16th, uh, remote public comment can only be, um, uh, permission for participating in remote public comment can only be given if folks um, contact me the day before health commission meeting by noon. Um, two folks have received permission today just as a notification. And here is um, a little script on general public comment. At this time, members of the public may address the commission on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the commission, but are not on this meeting agenda. Each member of the public may address the commission for up to two minutes, uh, up to three minutes. The Brown Act forbids a commission from taking action on discussing any item not appearing on the posted agenda, including those raised during public comment. Please note that each individual is allowed one opportunity to speak per agenda item. Individuals may not return more than once to read statements from other individuals unable to attend the meeting. Written public comment may be sent to the Health Commission at the following email address, the word health dot the word commission.dph at sfdph.org. It's also listed on the agenda and website. If you wish to spell your name in the minutes, you may do so during your verbal comments without taking your allotted time. Please note that city policies along with federal, state, and local law prohibit discriminatory or harassing conduct against city employees and others during public meetings and will not be tolerated. Thank you, Secretary Mermitz. And, and we do receive, read, and appreciate written public comments. And again, this agenda, I, this item is for items that are not on today's agenda. Is, is there any public comment? Are there, is there public comment in the room? Yes. Good afternoon, Health Commission. My name is Chris Ward-Klein, and I've spoken here several times and wanted to provide some background on me that is relevant to my presentation today. 
I have over 25 years of investigative experience, having worked with state and federal investigators, working with high-tech crimes and successful prosecutions at both the state and federal level. I've worked with REACT and NC3TF, which are federally funded task forces here in the Bay Area and other task forces outside the Bay Area. I have hosted several conferences with guest speakers from major banks, the Department of Justice to include the FBI, and using AI, informational technology, and surveillance with pros and cons associated with the technology. I just handed out, um, thanks to the Secretary, out a system used here in San Francisco. I will not publicly name it as it is part of my public comments due to its sensitivity, NISD-controlled unclassified information, CUI, and HIPAA requirements. This deals with cyber infrastructure, cybersecurity, protecting intellectual property, and compliance. This is the number one issue right now in San Francisco, as too many credentials were given out to the system and associated apps. In the last seven to 10 days, I presented the same topic to the Board of Supervisors, Committee on Information Technology, COIT, provided insight to the Sheriff, public, uh, Police Chief, Mayor's Office, City Administrator, Assistant Police Chief, amongst other leaders within San Francisco. I apologize to Director Grant Colfax for not getting to him, this to him in a timelier manner. This system in conjunction with others is contributing to the overdoses, suicides, false medical diagnosis, and increased violence within San Francisco. I urge the Health Commission to make this a priority by working with Director Colfax and the leadership at HSA. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else in the room who would like to make public comment? All right, we've got one hand up online. I may please unmute the caller. Please let us know you're there. Patrick Monette Shaw. What about agenda item number two on the meeting minutes for February 6th? You skipped that agenda item and I want to speak on it. Uh, so there was no hand up during that time. Um, this is general public comment. You're welcome to make the comment right now. So please use your time wisely. Okay, so I'm not hearing anything. Jaime, please uh, mute the caller. Okay, so that is the only public comment. Thank you. The next item on the agenda is a resolution honoring Hallie Hammer and Roland Pickens, who's the director and CEO of the San Francisco Health Network and our executive sponsor at Laguna Honda is going to present the resolution. Afternoon, commissioners. Oh, uh, please uh, continue, Mr. Pickens. Thank you, Mark. Good afternoon, commissioners. It's my pleasure to um, say a few words about someone who's been both a colleague and a friend for many years. Uh, as I deliver these words, I'd like you to take a trip back with me in time to the year 1991. At that point, I had just come off of 10 years working for UCSF, most recently for Talmadge King, Chief of Medicine at San Francisco General, now Dean of School of Medicine for UCSF. And Hallie Hammer was the Associate Medical Director of the Family Health Center at San Francisco General Hospital. I had just come on board as a DPH City employee as the Associate Hospital Administrator for Primary Care, Medical Specialties, Diagnostics, and Business Intelligence uh, at San Francisco General. Howling and I worked closely together uh, starting in 1991 
have seen so many challenges along the way. Some of those include the pre-work and the creation of Healthy San Francisco, of which Cali was an integral part in both its design and implementation. There was the Asiana airline crash at SFO and San Francisco General's response to that crash. Cali was a part of that. Then, of course, the COVID-19 pandemic. Again, Cali was right there. And most recently, the Laguna Honda recertification effort. And again, she was called upon both herself and her staff to lend assistance. So there's not one significant event that's happened within the network, San Francisco General or DPH, of which Cali hasn't been a part. I've been dreading this day for the last several years, knowing it would come soon, but I am um, hardened by the experiences and um, good fellowship that we've had for these many several years. As I release uh, this time back to Mr. Morowitz to introduce the resolution, I'd just like to give a few words that summarize I think Hallie's uh, existence within the network and DPH. And the words are from the authors Christine Yarin Perrin and Frederick Perrin, two of our prolific writers of the day. And their words were put the song by the group Boys to Men. To the song, It's So Hard to Say Goodbye to Yesterday. And I'll paraphrase How do I say goodbye? to what we had. The good times that made us laugh outweigh the bad. And finally, I'll take with me the memories to be my sunshine after the rain. It's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday. To Hallie. Mark. Thank you, Mr. Pickens. Dr. Hammer, please come up for your moment of glory. <laughs> I, I will read the draft resolution and then you'll hear nice things said about you and then you can speak. Is that, is that okay? Thank you, Roland. Uh, uh, whereas Dr. Hallie Hammer has served the city and county of San Francisco and the Department of Public Health for the entirety of her professional career, and whereas Dr. Hammer began her DPH tenure in 1994 as a resident at ZSFG Hospital and has since gone on to serve in multiple leadership positions, most recently as the Director of Ambulatory Care, this leadership role oversees all of DPH's 14 community clinics. And whereas Dr. Hammer was a key informant of and eventual key implementer of the 2012 Health Reform Affordable Coverage Act, ACA Readiness Assessment, commissioned by the City and County of San Francisco's Department of Public Health and Controller's Office, which led to the creation of the San Francisco Health Network as a single integrated delivery system best structured to meet the demands of the ACA. Her early work in this area continues to guide and evolve current DPH SF, uh, the network's operational improvements. Whereas Dr. Hammer has overseen multiple successful renovations of DPH primary care clinics, including Maxine Hall, Southeast Health Center, and Castro Mission Health Center, these renovations have led to increased accessibility and a wider scope of services for the community, including such specialized treatment as wound care and dental care. And whereas during COVID, Dr. Hammer was integral in setting up the shelter-in-place system of care, expanding ambulatory care access to COVID resources, such as vaccinations and testing to the community, and shifting the clinical approaches to meet the demands of COVID, for example, telehealth care and managed alcohol treatment. 
And whereas Dr. Hammer has built a legacy of service and advocacy to further primary care access for all San Franciscans, she will be dearly missed by her colleagues, DPH and her patients, many of whom have had her as their primary care doctor since childhood. And whereas Dr. Hammer has been a, con a consummate colleague and public health leader throughout her career, her enormous dedication and thoughtfulness in strengthening health services for San Franciscans has led to a stronger and more effective safety net health system for primary care, whole person integrated care, maternal child and adolescent care, jail health and behavioral health. Resolved that the San Francisco Health Commission honors Dr. Holly Hammer for her outstanding service and leadership and wishes her well in her future endeavors. Thank you, Mark. How about if we give a little... Now, who gets the honor of making a motion to approve this resolution? Everybody's jumping. So I moved. <laughs> I second. Moved. Yeah. Uh, let's first uh, quickly check. Is there any public comment in the room or anything online? I see no public comment, no, no hands raised. Wonderful. So I guess um, we have a motion in a second. So how about commissioner comments? I guess we'll start at the end and work our way down. Commissioner Chung. Um, I don't even know where to begin because like all of a sudden I feel like I'm so old too. So, <laughs> again, I couldn't believe how long I've known you and to see all the work that you've done on behalf of the city for San Francisco, it's been really inspiring and I want you to know that. Um, and my community is, is glad to have an ally like you. Um, to be there for them and to be able to like um, also help with developing some of the um, culturally um, competent services that we are seeing today. So thank you so much and enjoy your well-deserved retirement. Thank you so much. Or, or, or another endeavor. Thank you. Well, unlike Commissioner Chung, I haven't been here that long, and sadly, I haven't had much of a chance to work with you, but the time that I have been here and the work of yours that I've seen, uh, I'm, it's uh, extraordinary and very inspirational, and the work that particularly in behavioral health, um, from, you know, from my specialized uh, interest, uh, is, has been amazing and continued to grow uh, across the years, and, uh, it's, uh, and it will continue to grow because of the foundation you've built and the work that you've done along the way. So I wish you the best and I hope you uh, are able to enjoy your free time again. <laughs> and um, thank you so much for everything you've done for the city. Thank you. Commissioner Gerardo. Yeah, I want to thank you as well. <clears throat> when I came on the commission, which was just a couple of months before uh, we shut down for COVID, I was a very green commissioner and I asked you multiple questions about the teen clinics, the Balboa teen clinic, et cetera. Um, and you were so helpful in educating me and inviting me down, in fact, to Balboa um, and a couple of others to meet with you. And then we shut down. So, uh, but your education, your help and your um, understanding of how to really educate a new commissioner. I've got to say many, many thanks. I really appreciated um, your help and your expertise in um, all that you have done for the city and county's 
um, residents, but in particular, since my area is kids and adolescents, you've really made a difference in uh, what you have, have done and really opened the doors uh, for lots of kids. So I thank you and also wish you well in your next chapter. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Guillermo. No, uh, primary care has a special place in my heart. Uh, it's the place where I started my career in health. Uh, and I know that primary care doesn't uh, nearly get the kind of credit uh, that it deserves in terms of preserving the health and well-being of any citizenry, uh, particularly here in San Francisco and in the Bay Area. Uh, and I know that uh, the department here uh, and the network it's created of clinics working hand-in-hand -hand with community-based clinics that are not necessarily part of the network has made a uh, tremendous uh, contribution uh, to the, uh, the, I guess, the respect that primary care now can, can have uh, weathering all of these um, crises and issues uh, that affect our community. And you have been at the heart, not just the heart, actually in the lead <laughs> of all of it. So uh, you deserve uh, more than gratitude uh, for all of the years and all of the dedication that you showed in the leadership that you provided in San Francisco and actually to the rest of the country because of what you've done. So thank you very much. Commissioner Chow. Yes, thank you. Um, uh, I think like Rowan, I have um, been able to follow your career, Dr. Hammer, uh, through uh, all the different iterations and always uh, you perform so well. Uh, you exemplify the very best of the best that we have in our um, department uh, in serving the public. It's hard for me to, uh, you know, say, uh, especially one or another uh, type of role that you have taken that you have not achieved and brought us to uh, a uh, higher level of care. Uh, perhaps the latest has been with the San Francisco Health Network where you really developed a true network. So uh, I, I can only then wish you well uh, in uh, any of your future endeavors, be it uh, uh, recreation, uh, be it additional work for um, that, that you would like to undertake for others. And uh, it's uh, just been a uh, pleasure to have had this opportunity to work with you during your career here at the department. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Chow. And I would like to add the breadth of your work is extraordinary. And when you think about it, you know, primary care is really the portal of entry to the system for our most vulnerable San Franciscans. And you've done such an amazing job expanding that and making it welcoming to individuals. And it's also the place that you go after you've had a health crisis. It's what maintains your health. And I think it's, it's really the backbone of what the mission of our health department is, which is to make San Francisco the healthiest place in the country. It was wonderful. You got the award at the uh, Heroes and Hearts uh, uh, event. It's so well-deserved and we, we were so blessed to have had you for so long and we all wish you a wonderful future. I know Director Colfax probably wants to have the final word here. I don't know if there's a final word, but uh, so Hallie, thank you. Uh, for everything and to uh, build on what uh, Mr. Pickens and the commissioners have said, um, just a deep appreciation for your resolute focus on ambulatory care and 
And just for the record, ambulatory care is very broad and deep in its uh, responsibilities in the department, 14 primary care clinics, maternal child health, jail health, whole person integrated care. Um, certainly the work you did with COVID was exemplary and we will always as a city um, appreciate your efforts there. The establishment of the MXM, Maria X Martinez Clinic, um, which shows really how to provide state of the art care, primary care, dental care uh, to people who are experiencing homelessness. Sorry, you, <laughs> you did that. <laughs> um, so I want to thank you for that. And I think also the fact that with your departure, you have built a very strong team of incredible leaders who are deeply uh, impassioned about continuing the work and making sure that we continue to make San Francisco the healthiest place on earth. And going to the years past, I think one of the things that's remarkable is we first met each other when you were an intern in family practice at Zuckerberg, San Francisco General, and I was an intern in primary care. And uh, as uh, you have held the fierce commitments and focus on patient care, and something that I also think we need to make sure is in the record is the fact that you always stayed proximal to the work even in this large bureaucracy and you always had a clinic every week and you know in numerous meetings every every time the bureaucracy got in the way um you focused on what what does the patient need and i will always appreciate that and i want you to know that the department will take that and make sure that we ground ourselves in that principle every day so thank you dr hammer we will Entertain. We'll have a We'll have Dr. Hammer. Say well, actually, no. So um, I recommend that you all go ahead and you know, do your action, so we and then a, we can let have a motion and a second. So I will do a roll call vote. And actually, before I do, I just want to note that it's not in the resolution, but Dr. Hammer, I don't think ever said no to. Uh, I will take over a vacant position when someone's out, and will cover my work and do everything else. Um, yeah, uh, she was the behavioral health director before Dr. Cunnins came in, and just. Uh, the world on her shoulders at all times. So Elder will call vote. Commissioner Chow, how do you vote on this issue? Emphatically, yes. Yes. Uh, Commissioner Guillermo? Oh, yes. Commissioner Green? Yes. Commissioner Dorado? Yes. Commissioner Christian? Yes. And Commissioner Chung? Absolutely. All right. Now it's your turn, Dr. Hammond. Oh, um, thank you so much, Commissioners, Secretary Morowitz, Roland, if you're still there, Director Colfax, Thank you so much for this incredible recognition. It means so much to me. Um, as I've said many times on this transition to retirement journey, it really has been a journey. Serving the people of San Francisco through working in my many roles in the Department of Public Health over the past almost 30 years has been such an honor. I have had the distinct privilege of knowing and serving with literally hundreds of the most inspiring, the most innovative, the most determined and dedicated public servants I ever could have imagined working alongside throughout a career which started at San Francisco General, as we used to call it, um, two weeks after graduating from medical school. Through the years, I've had the privilege of working with incredible leaders and mentors 
way too many to mention here, even though I, I do want to call out a few of them with immense gratitude. Um, these, these leaders in the Department of Public Health who've made this work doable and meaningful by showing the way over these over the years. Director of the San Francisco Health Network, Roland Pickens, my longtime colleague and friend, Alice Chen, my first mentor in San Francisco, Dr. Kevin Grumbach, and my dear friend and colleague dating back to when we were residents at San Francisco General, Director Grant Colfax. Looking back at our many successes and the health network which we built, I feel a deep sense of fulfillment and gratitude for all my colleagues and for San Francisco and the incredible commitment and investments San Francisco makes in public health. It does seem to be the nature of the beast that I also see all the work left to be done. And I'm grateful to my close colleagues throughout the health network and the department, and especially um, the, the leaders in ambulatory care who I've been so um, honored to work alongside, who work so hard day in and day out to achieve our shared mission. Also want to appreciate Dr. Albert Yu, who's stepping into my role, just as he's done with generosity and grace. He's, he'll be director, uh, acting director of ambulatory care until the position is filled. While I will miss our collective work together, the decision to retire much younger than I ever imagined is the right one for me and for my family. Public health, both as a leader and as a frontline provider, is incredibly stressful. It's often brewing and our political environment, even in San Francisco, manages to pull, manage to pull me away so often from the work I really love, which is to build systems which serve people who need our care the most. My great hope is that as innovators, we'll find ways to make the work for frontline clinical staff as well as for public health leaders more sustainable so that they can be laser focused on the work that they're called to do, which is to improve the health and well-being of the whole population that they serve. Thank you again, commissioners. Um, thank you so much for this recognition and for all the support throughout the years. It's been such an honor and a pleasure to, to work with you all and to serve the city as director of the ambulatory. Dr. Hammer, please uh, come up for, uh, on the podium for a picture with the commissioners and uh, Director Colfax. And thank you all for your patience, the rest of you. I know each of you are here for important business too.
Thank you so much. The next item on the agenda is the privilege of a resolution honoring Greg Wagner and uh, our director Colfax will present. Okay, well, it is uh, my great pleasure to introduce the resolution, uh, resolution honoring uh, Greg Wagner. Uh, Mr. Wagner has played a key role uh, in the department. I know the resolution uh, goes through the details, but I just want to uh, first congratulate Greg on his next endeavor, which is to go literally across the street and become the controller for the city, which is fantastic um, for San Francisco and for, for the health and wellness of San Francisco as well. And just thrilled that Mayor Breed nominated him to be the controller and there was a 11 to zero vote um, by our board to, by the San Francisco Board of Supervisors to confirm his appointment. Um, it's great for uh, the city. It's also great for the department because it's always good to know your local controller. Um, and also just delighted because of what Greg, Greg's track record at the department has been exemplary. Um, he uh, served as the chief financial officer of the department, um, which is no uh, small feat with a $3 billion budget um, with our incredibly vast network of hospitals, primary care clinics, uh, behavioral health and population health. Um, he led many initiatives, uh, oversaw incredible um, work in terms of infrastructure where our, um, our primary care clinics in particular uh, were renovated or built anew, um, helped oversee and drive the transformation of our IT systems through EPIC, um, which has greatly improved and modernized our public health system of, of care. And uh, also worth mentioning is he served as acting director of the public health department um, in an interim period when appointed uh, by Mayor Breed and just did an incredible um, job there as well. During COVID, uh, Greg was at Moscone Center, our headquarters, and uh, just working constantly to make sure the money kept flowing to do what we needed to do and to reassure all of us that uh, the incredible resources that we were pulling and I think borrowing on and drawing down were actually going to be made good uh, from the federal and state level, which uh, helped me sleep at night. Because the thing about Greg is that no matter how complex the problem is or the crisis of the moment or the incoming piece, he is so calm and so composed and so good at listening and uh, bringing forward next steps or a solution. Um, so I'm just so, again, honored that he will be controller as a, uh, and, and that he has just done so much uh, for the department, very mission driven, very committed uh, to the city and in his role um, here as COO, the first chief operating officer of the department. Um, his uh, work really will, will continue uh, because again, he just built a great team. He has been a great mentor um, and many people um, in this department will continue to uh, look 
uh, to his legacy to make sure that we continue to improve the health and wellness of all San Franciscans. And every now and then, uh, somebody from the department might be giving the controller a call to ask for some additional guidance, help, and maybe even some resources time to time. So Greg, it is my honor to have worked with you, my dear friend. Thank you. And we will hear the resolution, Secretary Murwitz. Whereas Greg Wagner has served the city and county of San Francisco and the Department of Public Health as an exceptional leader, and whereas Mr. Wagner began his tenure in 2006 as the mayor's budget director, serving in his role under mayor, mayors Gavin Newsom and Ed Lee, and whereas Mr. Wagner joined the Department of Public Health in 2011 as the chief financial officer. During his tenure in this position, Mr. Wagner led financial management of key public health and citywide priorities, including the city's response to the COVID-19 pandemic, a capital program to rebuild Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital, and multiple outpatient service sites, the implementation of, the, of Mental Health SF, and the city's implementation of the Affordable Care Act. And whereas Mr. Wagner was appointed by Mayor London Breed as DPH Acting Health Director, he expertly led the $3 billion department while still fulfilling his duties as Chief Financial Officer. And whereas uh, as the current Chief Operating Officer of DPH, Greg oversees the finances and administrative operations of the city's largest department, including ZSFG and Laguna Honda Hospitals, and a citywide network of primary care, mental health, and substance abuse programs. This has included a key leadership role in the, in the Laguna Honda Hospital recertification effort. And whereas Mr. Wagner is known for his, his humility, ability to synthesize and explain complex bureaucratic processes, calm leadership style, extraordinary competence, and affability. And whereas Mr. Wagner has built a legacy of service and leadership to support and improve the lives of all San Franciscans, he will be dearly missed by many at the DPH and in the greater San Francisco public health communities. Whereas Mr. Wagner has been appointed by Mayor Breed as San Francisco controller, Resolved that the San Francisco Health Commission honors Greg Wagner for his outstanding service and leadership and wishes him well in his new professional endeavor. Thank you. We will entertain a motion to approve this resolution. I so move. So moved. Second. All right. Um, is there any public comment on this? Is there any public com comment in the room on this item? All right, I see no hands. So, commissioners, I believe it's up to you. All right. Um, I think probably everyone wants to say something. So why don't we go in the opposite um, order and Commissioner Chow. Uh, <clears throat> oh, thank you. Um, I, I, I know that the resolution covers so much about uh, what Greg Wagner has represented to this department. And I can only say that personally, when I first uh, uh, knew uh, Greg and when he first came as the financial officer, it was at a time when we had to continue to build our, our reserves uh, or even create reserves, uh, a time when we would return all the general funds back to uh, the, the uh, city when we didn't uh, have uh, uh, total use of them in a year. And then we'd have to ask them back for it uh, because of the huge fluctuations. And with his knowledge of the workings of City Hall, we were able to actually uh, create this uh, very important uh, 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 reserve uh, that allowed us to do so much. Uh, I secondly wanted to really thank him personally for his uh, work uh, during uh, the uh, period when he was acting director. He was wonderful. Uh, I worked closely with him as the chair of the 
uh, search committees. Uh, and uh, uh, it, it was just really a, a wonderful personal experience to realize that everything that uh, Dr. Koufax has said is what Greg was during this period of time when uh, we uh, were uh, searching for a leader and uh, uh, Dr. Weiger, uh, Mr. Weiger, and you should receive a doctorate for it, actually carried on well as the acting director, almost thinking that maybe we didn't need a permanent director. Uh, uh, I think the one item that's uh, missing that uh, we also need to remember is uh, this tremendous effort that he uh, assisted us in being able to afford EPIC. I mean, and, and EPIC has been, I, I think, nearly a decade journey by the time it is finished. Uh, it looked like an impossible task to be able to accumulate enough uh, uh, financial backing in order to even begin an EPIC project. And, and yet I think, uh, uh, from a patient standpoint, if in fact we were to look for anything uh, that was uh, a contribution by him, the fact that we were able to put EPIC in not only just at the hospitals, but throughout our system, or as we continue to put it throughout all the rest of the system, uh, has uh, served uh, our patients well. Um, I, I am sure that there are just innumerable people who have been uh, assisted by the fact that there are unified records and a way to understand the uh, health status of our patients. So those are just some of the things. Uh, and, and so, Greg, I really uh, find that it's wonderful that the city is able to, uh, again, use your talents in the role as controller. And I know that, as Dr. Kofax says, you won't forget the needs that our department has and uh, we'll remember that uh, for us to be a, a viable city, we need to be a healthy city and therefore uh, we would look forward to your continued work with us. So thank you and uh, great luck over uh, across the street for yourself. I only regret that I can't be there today to really thank you personally. Thank you. Commissioner Guillermo. Uh, in the words of our past president, Dan Bernal, uh, I wish to associate myself with the uh, comments and uh, congratulations and acknowledgments that uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Grant Colfax and Dr. Chow uh, have already expressed. Uh, the only thing I would add at this point is, you know, um, uh, being, uh, having a career in government is, not, <laughs> is far from glamorous. It's never, uh, it's hardly thanked, thank, uh, and, um, but it, it's so important uh, to the lives of so many people who don't understand and appreciate what the role of a, a, um, a government leader uh, is. And you are definitely in the epitome of somebody uh, who does this um, exemplary uh, work uh, as has been evidenced by what has been said so far and it's in the resolution. So I wanna thank you for that. Uh, I wanna thank you for staying and sticking with the city of San Francisco uh, and showing that it's worthwhile to be a public servant. Uh, and it's something that um, comes with a lot of dignity uh, and really does come with rewards. 
maybe not very public rewards, uh, but I hope that's the case. So uh, I won't say any more, but to thank you so much uh, and to look forward to uh, more and better uh, in the coming years. Thank you so much, Commissioner. Commissioner Gerardo. I want to thank you and really congratulate you too, not only with your work here in the department and um, what you and your team brings forward to us on the commission to really help us even more fully understand the complexities of the finances of the department that we are responsible for too. So um, your leadership with your team um, has really been wonderful. And for those that are clinicians, helped us understand more um, in a great way, understand the finances. I look forward to your new position. Best of luck to you um, as you move forward uh, to also keep the city and county of San Francisco physically sound. So thank you um, for now. And then <laughs> as we go forward <laughs> as well. Thanks. Thank you, Commissioner. Commissioner Christian. Thank you. Uh, definitely associate myself with the comments so far. Uh, congratulations. I'm so glad that you have the capacity to take on another big job in the city. And um, I can't say bigger, uh, just bigger in different ways. And it will be helpful, I think, to have the controller be so intimately aware of and familiar with the work that needs to be done and is done constantly by this department and the resources that it needs. And uh, I'm really looking forward to the reports that you're going to be publishing. Uh, those are always fascinating, but it will be helpful too to have someone who is so familiar with the department um, being involved with whatever reports do get uh, put out, published by, by the controller. So thank you for uh, helping and your team helping me understand the finances of the of the department so far, and I'm looking forward to the to the work that you're going to be doing. Have a great time. Thank you, Commissioner. Commissioner Chan. Wow. <laughs> um, let me let me start with saying that you know I really thank you for all the years that you have been like working with the department. I came into this commission with an assumption that well, anybody that comes from the mayor's office probably will protect the mayor's office before they protect the department's um, budget. But you proved me so wrong um, so many times. And, um, and because of you, we were able to completely erase a chronic debt that we, we carry from years to years. Um, and so we get to start fresh before we start implementing EPIC. And I don't think that's a small deal at all. Um, and as the chair of the Finance and Planning Committee, thank you for like all your patience with me and and help me from like not knowing what I talk about to pretending I know what I'm talking about. And now that um, at least, you know, I've got some of the question down um, and that you were able to offer solutions to the way the meeting is conducted so we can really get straight to what what oversight is about, you know, for um, our fiduciary duties um, instead of like just long reports after long reports. You know, I, I still remember the first time I turned to you and said, does this make sense that we have to hear all this? <laughs> like, yeah, and thank you so much, you know, and thank you for trusting 
my judgment and to help, you know, like create more autonomy for, um, you know, for the, for your team and also take away some of the unnecessary bureaucracy um, from our meetings. So I can't thank you enough. And I've been thinking about this a lot, but I would say it out anyway. So, but I'm really happy that you decide it's okay to go from the firing plan to the fire. Um, and especially in this time um, when we're dealing with like so many um, challenges, but thank you. And like all the commissioners have said, you know, I look forward to a new working relationship with you. Thank you. And congratulations again. Thank you. So Greg, you are a leadership wizard and a financial wizard, and there aren't that many financial wizards who are also as kind and committed and unflappable and approachable as you've been. It's almost like those skill sets bifurcate. And you know, when we see the reports that are coming from all these various divisions that you've touched in your career at the Department of Public Health, we see, we see your effect, we see your fingerprint. It's remarkable the quality of work and the complexity of the work. And obviously, you know, you, you've led so many aspects of, 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 of this department through so many crises. And it seems to me there hasn't been a challenge or a crisis that you haven't run headlong into. And you never, you never turn down and the, the, the opportunity. You've always, always tried your best to bring all your skills to whatever the needs are have been in the department. And I think, you know, that that's a real, uh, an, a, an incredibly special aspect of who you are. As, as Commissioner Chung said, that it sounds like the frying pan to the fire, but there it probably is no better time for the city to have someone like you in a more expanded capacity helping everyone um, given, given what's going on in general. And we are, we are so grateful to you that you have decided to have public service be your career. And we benefited so deeply from everything you, you bring to the table, which again is, is so unique in, in the world today. So we're, we're really very grateful and we thank you so much and look forward to um, seeing greater things from you. And we, we know that the uh, team you've left behind will continue to perform at the level that you have um, established. So we're, we're so grateful. And now it's time for a vote. Uh, right. Commissioner Chow, how do you vote on this item? Uh, sorry, I had to turn it back on, but uh, again, emphatically, yes. Uh, Commissioner Guillermo? Yes. Commissioner Green? Yes. Commissioner Gerardo? Yes. Commissioner Christian? Yes. And Commissioner Chung? Yes. Okay. Mr. Right. Wagner, I believe it's Thank your turn. You. Mr. Wagner. All right. Well, uh, Thank you uh, so much, uh, commissioners, for the honor of the resolution and the kind words. Um, Dr. Colfax, thank you for that introduction. I, you got me tearing up a little bit uh, back there um, uh, with all the kind words. Um, I want to just briefly address the commission um, to say that uh, I think this commission has walked a really fine line of being supportive of me and of the staff in DPH and also pushing us to do more and do better at the same time. And that's a balancing act that is uh, difficult. And I've experienced many uh, public oversight bodies that don't always meet it. Uh, but I think you've managed to do that in a way uh, that both keeps us uh, feeling like our work is important, 
but also always looking for that next. How are we going to do more? How are we going to do better? How are we going to uh, move the work forward? So um, thank, thank you for that. Um, I am excited uh, and uh, looking forward to this new role as a new chance to um, serve the city and, as uh, you all said, uh, be a, an ally and a partner uh, to the Department of Public Health in a new uh, capacity. Um, but I am also really going to miss uh, the Department of Public Health. It has been an incredibly um, rich and rewarding and sometimes really hard, but always rewarding experience working here. Um, and I, I can't say it more eloquently than uh, Dr. Hammer did, but I think it's really because of the people in this department who are so committed, so persistent, so creative, uh, so uh, dedicated uh, to what this department is doing, uh, that it makes it easy to come and do the hard work uh, even even when it feels like we're not getting it done fast enough. Um, I really uh, want to especially call out the teams in my divisions, which thank, thanks for the kind words, commissioners, but all of those finance, HR, contracts, IT, compliance, security. Uh, those uh, teams are coming to work every day. They're not always having the light shown on their accomplishments, but they are uh, helping the department move forward they're persistent and they're creative and they're trying new things um, to, to try to support the work of the department. So it's been an honor to be associated with, um, with those teams. And, and it really is a great team who will be here to um, continue to support you in the department. Um, so I'll just um, uh, leave it at that. Um, I think it is uh, the, the work in the department is hard, uh, but it's hard because we're trying to do big things and we're trying to do important things and it should be hard because if it's not hard, we're not setting our sights high enough. I'm really confident in the, the people of this department to continue to move the work forward. Special thanks to Dr. Colfax, who's been an incredible supporter of me personally over the years and especially through this transition. I'm joking that you know you have a good boss who shows up to provide moral support at your confirmation hearing to go to a different department, which he did. <laughs> Uh, so th thank you. Uh, thank you, Grant, for all the support. Um, and I'll le leave it at that because I know there's uh, uh, business um, for the commission and the public uh, to get to. So thank you so much for your support. You can't get away that easily. You have to come up on okay. stage. For <laughs> Right. Thank you all.
The next item is for discussion. It is the Hunters Point Naval Shipyard updates. And for this, we have Dr. Susan Phillip, who's our health officer and the director of population health division, and then Asa King, who's the deputy director of community health. Welcome. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, commissioners, President Green, Vice President Guillermo, and commissioners, uh, Secretary Morowitz and, and Director Colfax. Um, uh, very happy to be with you this afternoon. And thank you for the opportunity to present an update on our department's ongoing work related to the Hunters Point Naval Shipyard cleanup efforts. Uh, my name is um, Susan Phillip. I am uh, my, she, her pronouns. My, I am the health officer and the director of the Population Health Division. And I'm joined today for the majority of this presentation by our deputy director in population health for community health, um, Asa King. But I wanted to um, start out uh, with just thanking you and also um, saying to you that we appreciate your, your feedback, your encouragement, as, um, as we uh, just heard um, uh, Director Wagner say, that fine line between um, recognizing the work and pushing us and the public and you all have certainly pushed us to come back and talk more fully about our work around the Hunters Point Naval Shipyard and supporting communities. So we thank you. Next slide, please. Thank you very much for advancing the slides. So uh, this is really just to show you an outline of the, the, the topics we're going to cover. There's quite a bit. And as I said, Deputy Director King will cover uh, most of this. Um, next slide, please. And the reason that we really um, are here and the reason that we are uh, doing this work in, in new ways that we want to share with you is that we want today to be able to introduce a new approach that we are taking to a decades-long effort that the department has been involved with. And we want to also introduce our expert SFDPH interdisciplinary team who's leading our work on the shipyard. And as we've said, we have heard from community, we have heard uh, from you all in these um, chambers that we, we, we should be taking a, a different approach, a new approach to engaging on this work. And so we want to show you a little bit of that process. It's ongoing and we can continue to improve, but we want to show you what we have done since we last um, spoke on this topic. So to that, to that extent, we want to share our recent efforts to listen to community, engage with community, and then explain our work and, and our ongoing plans for continued work on these um, shipyard issues. Next slide, please. So our commitment overall is to uh, continue to listen and investing uh, time and resources and engagement in working with the Bayview Hunters Point community and to be able to focus more tools and supports to improve health outcomes overall, which I know is our shared goal with the commission, um, our colleagues in the department, and our um, and, and our uh, the advocates and residents um, living in the communities around the shipyard. Next slide, please. And as a reminder, the Hunters Point Naval Shipyard is currently federal property. It is the U.S. Navy that is the lead agency for investigation and cleanup at the site. Additionally, federal and state regulators oversee and enforce the Navy cleanup. Um, these include the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency uh, at the California Department, the, the Department of Toxic Substances Control, and the San Francisco Bay Water Quality uh, Control Board. Um, more detail can be found in the handout that was also uh, placed as part of the uh, meeting materials. Slide number, uh, next slide, please. So then what is our role as SFDPH? 
Even though we are not directly responsible for cleanup, that is the U.S. Navy's responsibility, or regulation in the cleanup, which is the EPA, DTSC, and the water boards, we do have a critical role to review information throughout the process of cleanup to ensure that the health of, uh, and well-being of residents is protected, that the most health-protective approach is taken, and to uplift community voice in these processes and throughout these systems. So to do this, we now have an expert inter interdisciplinary team in SFDPH with expert knowledge in environmental and community health, civil engineering, and communications to give the community uh, the comprehensive support that we are aiming for throughout this cleanup process. Um, next slide, please. And um, to share with you uh, the makeup of the team and to be able to visually represent uh, where the team um, arises from within the department and also the, the range of disciplines involved, we have this uh, schematic structure of a modified um, org chart to visually represent that work. Um, so the DPH executive team is represented both by, by me and also by uh, Director uh, Deirdre Hussey, who's the Director of Public Affairs. And we're very grateful to have uh, Deirdre's leadership along with Director Janetris Brown, our Director of Communications, to really try and ensure that whatever information we put out as DPH is as clear as possible. And also to really urge both the Navy and the regulators to be very clear in their communications with the public as well. Under the population health division that I lead, we have several teams with varying areas of expertise that are also um, involved. Um, our specialized uh, work, technical work, comes from the environmental health branch led by Patrick Fosdall and specialized engineering roles are divided, as you see there, between engineers Ryan Casey and Bill Chen. Uh, the work of uh, really following the process of the cleanup, reviewing technical uh, documents along the way and giving input, uh, fall to Ryan Casey as our lead engineer for that work. And once the land, uh, once parcels have been accepted by the city, at that point, SFDPH and the city assumes a regulatory role under Article 31 for any development of the accepted parcels. That Article 31 direct regulatory work will be underseen by Bill, will be overseen by Bill Chen. So that is a separation of those duties, pre-transfer and post-transfer, but we have the benefit of them as, as engineers in both phases of that work. Within PhD as well, um, we have Dr. Nena Okoye in the blue square, and we're really fortunate that Dr. Okoye is, specializes in environmental medicine and in occupational health. And with that clinical lens and public health lens, uh, Dr. Okoye brings uh, that experience and that ability <clears throat> to weigh in on some of the clinical aspects of the cleanup work and the concerns of um, some of the residents within the area. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then Asa King, Deputy Director for Community Health, has a long history of uh, working directly with community and engaging community efforts and has been instrumental in recentering our efforts to focus around some of the community voice and community concerns uh, in partnership with uh, community residents and leaders. And I'm happy to turn the rest of the presentation over to Deputy Director King.
Good afternoon, commissioners and uh, Dr. Colfax. Um, my name is Asa King. Uh, as Dr. Phillips said, I'm the deputy director of community health in the population health division here uh, at the Department of Public Health. And um, before we move on with the presentation, I, I would just like to take a moment to acknowledge the community members who may be listening in here today or maybe in the room, uh, many of whom I've had the pleasure of meeting with on several occasions since the last time that we appeared before this commission uh, and their commitment uh, to this issue, to the safety of their communities, and they're willing to organize on this issue relentlessly over many years has been inspiring. Um, and I feel so fortunate uh, for the time and the attention that they have given me. And so I would like to acknowledge and, and thank them very much. Um, and as uh, Dr. Phillips said, and you can see here on this slide, uh, in addition to myself and Dr. Phillips, we have uh, a very esteemed uh, team of um, very well-versed um, staff here at DPH who have spent a lot of time on these issues. And so please know uh, that although I'm, I'm the only member of the team uh, that will be speaking uh, here today, uh, many of my colleagues who have, have worked on this issue with me are here in the room and have been diligently working on this issue uh, for many months now. If we go to the next slide, please. So um, at the cornerstone of the work that we are doing on the shipyard has been our partnership with community. Uh, as I said, I myself and members of the team have had the opportunity to meet with many community members uh, to build new relationships and new partnerships and to really listen and understand what the concerns were. Uh, we know that there have been uh, concerns around um, our approach to this issue, and this is why uh, both myself and many of us who are new to the department have taken on uh, a new approach and really listening and starting anew with community members, and we are so fortunate to get that opportunity. A second part of our strategy has been about communication. We've listened to community members and we've heard that there has either been a lack of clear communication or simply not enough information given out to the community about what is happening on the shipyard. And so we're going to talk here today about the different avenues that we've approached uh, giving additional uh, sources of information and um, some of the uh, opportunities that I've had to go into the community along with other members of the team. Thirdly is about engagement. Um, we know, uh, as Dr. Phillip uh, alluded to in the earlier slides, uh, that it's not just the Department of Public Health uh, that's been involved in this issue and certainly not the lead uh, regulatory uh, agency or the agency with the most authority. Uh, so it has been critical uh, that we try to engage as much as we possibly can with the Navy and other regulatory agencies so that we can get the community the information uh, that it so critically needs and has desired on this issue. Uh, so it's been engaging with those uh, different agencies uh, for the sake of getting community uh, answers and information. 
And lastly, uh, but certainly not least, our commitment to health equity uh, and equitable uh, health outcomes have been at the heart of, of what our focus has been on this issue. We know uh, that we have to take a comprehensive approach to looking at health in this entire community and not just uh, the issues that have come up around the shipyard. Next slide, please. So um, some of the different uh, ways uh, that we've been involved in the, the community and had the opportunity to speak face-to-face -face directly with community members has been on a monthly basis at the Community Advisory Committee meetings. Uh, that committee uh, has members of the public that have been appointed by the mayor, and that is the primary place where the Navy gives information uh, and status updates about the shipyard cleanup. Um, in addition to those monthly meetings, we're also attending bi-monthly subcommittee meetings as well. Um, and this is a primary opportunity that we have on a regular ongoing basis to be in communication with community members. Addition, additionally to those regular meetings, um, you will see here in this outline, um, excuse me, in this timeline uh, that outlines um, the opportunities that we have had to go into the community face-to-face -face with community members since uh, the last time we appeared before this commission back in August of um, 2023. And um, here you can see uh, we've engaged with some community-led efforts um, at um, with climate and environmental justice summits back in September and uh, December as well. Additionally, we've been at those forums where the Navy is explaining to community members status updates about the cleanup uh, with their plan uh, demolition of, of one of the uh, buildings on the shipyard. And also, uh, we had uh, a wonderful opportunity uh, that we hope will be an ongoing uh, relationship with regulatory agencies, uh, as well as community members to be engaged in a community forum that we hope will, will continue on an ongoing basis. So this is just to highlight some of those efforts. Those efforts will be ongoing. We are in direct communication with many community groups who um, we uh, know that we will continue to partner with into the future on um, their planned events and activities. Next slide, please. Um, and on this slide here, um, you will see a screenshot of a new communication uh, method that um, we have been working on uh, to give the community information. So this is a screenshot from our uh, new website that we've created since the last time that we appeared. Um, and on this page, we focus on our health equity related efforts in the Bayview Hunters Point community. And you know, this is a real opportunity for us to say um, all of the different efforts that we are working on in the Bayview. And if we go to the next slide, you'll see the bottom part of this page really highlights all of the different efforts that we are making in this community to invest in health outcomes. And you see circled in the center here is our uh, focus on the shipyard and supporting community members having access to a healthier environment. And so if we go to our next slide, you'll see uh, that um, that page gives the link to a specialized uh, page that is just 
focus on the Hunters Point uh, shipyard. And on this page, we are sharing out uh, all the information that we have with community members directly from the Navy and regulatory agencies and providing opportunities for community members to get directly connected uh, with the decision makers and those that are involved in the cleanup. And this is what has been uh, what we've heard from community members that they are not getting enough information. And so this is one avenue that we are using to get more information out into the community. Um, additionally, on this page, residents can see a parcel by parcel update for what we know that is occurring at each site. And also it has a map so people can see um, where things are happening in relation to where they live. Also um, on the site, we are sharing out uh, recommendations that we have and in health information and ways that people can report um, different health concerns and the appropriate agencies to report them out to. And so we, we know that uh, this is one tool and that can buttress our efforts to be in direct in-person communication with community members, but also uh, an important tool to share out uh, information for greater transparency and information sharing. Next slide, please. Um, as I mentioned before, um, a part of our strategy has been around interagency engagement. Um, and so what that has looked like for us as it relates to community is participating in a community outreach work group that includes the Navy and other regulatory agencies um, that give us the opportunity to share our different plans and to coordinate with one another about our efforts to outreach and engage with community members. Additionally, there is a monthly communications meeting involving the same agencies that we participate in where we share uh, information about any upcoming public correspondences and community events and meetings. Next slide, please. Um, and um, to conclude, I like to just highlight some of our future plans because we know that uh, we've, we've gotten a great start uh, in terms of engaging with community. This issue uh, is uh, going to be an ongoing effort by the department. Um, and so to highlight uh, some of our plans for the future, um, the first of which is to uh, participate in some community listening sessions that we have been invited to uh, participate in by community advocates and leaders. Um, so what we've heard from community members is they want to see our department directly uh, in that community speaking uh, with the different um, residents that have concerns. And so we do intend to do that and are in the midst of uh, making plans uh, to participate. Um, additionally, as I said before, back in December, we uh, had our first of what I'm hoping will be standing community forums that will include uh, community members, regulators, and DPH as well. And both myself and many members of our team here at DPH have also been participants in that forum and will continue to, to do so. Also, um, the Navy has an effort to launch a community survey 
and uh, draft um, a required community involvement plan. And so we have been in communication uh, about their efforts and have been providing inputs and encouraging them to directly be in communication and make themselves available to the community uh, to um, relate information as they have it and to hear directly from community members the concerns and the needs of this community um, to better have uh, information on this issue. Next, we do have plans uh, to convene a, a group of external medical, environmental, and community experts to uh, discuss options for additional uh, assessments and actions. We know so much of uh, the concerns about um, what is happening around the shipyard has been around uh, the health information. And we know that in addition to our team that has extensive knowledge and involvement uh, and expertise on this issue, we have community members who have also been uh, concerned about the issue and also have medical expertise. And so we want to invite them to a forum uh, to come and sit with us and to share their concerns and their thoughts and figure out ways that we can work together on this issue. Um, additionally, uh, I'll, I'll talk just uh, a moment uh, in a little bit more depth about the five-year review, but to also say um, something that I will add that's not here on the slide is about uh, data and our efforts just as a department. Uh, as a public health department, we are always looking uh, at data as it is available. We don't have uh, data today around health-related issues, but it is a part of our plan and our goal to comprehensively look at health and our different neighborhoods to see where there are concerns. And so that is definitely uh, a goal of ours and a plan of ours to be looking comprehensively at health outcomes and identifying disparities and working to reduce them. Um, and lastly, I will, I will talk about the five-year review. If we go to the next slide, um, there, uh, just to say a little bit more about what that is, um, the Navy is required uh, to do a periodic evaluation of its cleanup program. And this is because uh, Bayview-Hunters Point has been designated a comprehensive environmental response compensation and liability act site. And so uh, what that means is uh, they have to provide information to the public um, that uh, evaluates whether or not uh, its cleanup solutions protect or will protect human health in the environment. And so that draft report is currently on the Navy's website and um, they are soliciting uh, public review and feedback on that document. Both uh, the department and the regulatory agencies that have been involved have been advocating on behalf of the community to get access for the Navy to listen to that input. Additionally, as a department and with our, our technical uh, team uh, in environmental health that has been closely uh, watching the progress of the cleanup, they will provide written technical uh, comments on that document and release them to the public as well. And so we are hoping with those combined efforts, we can uh, make known to the Navy uh, what our, our thoughts and opinions are, uh, both from a technical standpoint, from a community standpoint, uh, about 
uh, the cleanup uh, solutions that have been proposed and the progress uh, that the Navy is making. Um, with that, that is uh, my last slide, and I'm happy to answer uh, any questions that you may have. Thank you for that great presentation and for the clarifications. And I know many of the commissioners are very supportive of your work. Very happy to know that this will be data driven and that you have so uh, excellently in, engaged the community. We definitely want to hear what the members of the community have to say. And we'll start with some public comment. And uh, Secretary Morowitz just has a reminder. Yeah, so um, uh, Commissioner Green has a list of names uh, of folks who've submitted comments. Um, who, who requested uh, to make comments today. Each of you will have three minutes. <clears throat> when um, my little buzzer goes off, know that's your time to end your comment and to move on so other people have um, their opportunity as well. And we'll start with the folks in the room, then we'll go to the remote public comment. So we'll get um, three people to come up all at once, if that's okay. And um, I have Michael Lyon, I have Dr. Sumchai, and I have one that has no name on it. Uh, it's someone from San Francisco, Gray Panthers. So if you would come up, that would be wonderful. Um, this kind of has a Alice in Wonderland kind of quality about it, I, I, I have to say. I'm Michael Lyon I'm from Progressive Labor Party. The city has been willing to uh, let black, the black population suffer a decades-long epidemic of cancer and respiratory disease from radiation, heavy metals, organic solvents, and particulate matter. And now the city is letting the Navy declare the shipyard safe in order to allow developers to build fabulously profitable houses and offices. It's all about racism and capitalism. And the city health department has had a major role in greasing the skids and allowing this to happen. This department has blood on its hands. We demand that you fire Amy Brownell, whose job has been to lie to the community and to try to get the least sensitive kinds of uh, monitoring done. We demand that you stop cooperating with, with, on these dangerous windfall projects both in Hunters Point and in, in Treasure Island. Clean up as much as possible because of the rising seawater level. But there's no way that you're going to be able to make those areas safe. You need to declare them off limits. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Ahim supporter Sun Chai. Uh, I'm a former elected member of the Hunters Point Shipyard Restoration Advisory Board. Uh, in 2001, I founded the radiological subcommittee. I contributed to a finalization of the historical radiological assessment. Uh, I am the uh, founder uh, and the uh, principal investigator of the Hunters Point Community Biomonitoring uh, Program. Uh, I want to commend you for uh, your work. I want to point out to you historically uh, that the best way to do everything that you're trying to do is to simply uh, advocate for reinstitution of the Restoration Advisory Board. That is a monthly meeting uh, that is attended by the um, regulators and all of the stakeholders is open to the uh, public and is funded by uh, the federal government. The other thing I want to point out to you is that the 2010 Civil Grand Jury Report uh, identified uh, the defects that the department 
uh, is attempting to correct in the area of uh, communication. Uh, the most important thing that I want to say, however, is that you have a responsibility to address active exposures that are occurring along the western fence line uh, of the uh, shipyard's most dangerously contaminated region, areas where we are documenting people uh, to have uh, uh, radioactive uh, chemicals of concern in their body, uh, and we are documenting cancer clusters. Uh, I have shared with you the five-year findings of the Hunters Point a community biomonitoring program, uh, the uh, uh, phase one toxic registry, which consists of 75 people, the majority of whom currently live uh, within a half mile of the base. Uh, the profile of chemical elements that we are seeing in people as young as four and as old as 80, people who are fat, people who are black, uh, white, uh, and female. Uh, the findings that we have simply document that risk of exposure and intensity of exposure is based on how long and how close you live uh, to uh, the naval base. Some of the chemicals that we detect almost uh, predictably are manganese, vanadium, rubidium, gadolinium, thallium, arsenic, 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 carcinogenic, uh, heavy metals like nickel, chromium, and metals on the Proposition 65 uh, list of cancer-causing chemicals. Uh, and if you simply walk six blocks from Third uh, Street between Palu and Thomas, you will come to a fence line that doesn't even have dust curtains on it, doesn't even have simple dust curtains on it, and there are people living within 50 feet of it. We uh, recently evaluated a woman in a homeless RV who was uh, living at the fence line adjacent to the landfill uh, and came down with cancer. Uh, the um, uh, registry also documents very anomalous. Mr. Subchai, your time is up. Uh, uh, three women in the same household uh, with breast cancer. Thank you very much. And then there was someone from the Grey Panthers. Welcome. Thank you. Hi, Ann Colachita, San Francisco Grey Panthers. Well, I'm very glad to see that this uh, issue in this neighborhood is, is getting this uh, renewed and larger attention. Um, I got to say, you know, it's really so long overdue, uh, 50, 60 years. Um, uh, you know, um, the shipyard sounds kind of like a real estate project rather than rather than a public health initiative. Uh, the Bayview Hunters Point uh, neighborhood has been suffering for many years. And as we know, justice, we're hearing this justice delayed is justice denied. And this cleanup has been delayed for a long time. It seems like it's just sort of an act of attrition. Um, and um, attending the... Uh, the Ivan meetings and the environmental meetings as I have, uh, all you hear in the background, um, it's the survivors are in the room. All, if you want to hear the voices of the people, that's where you need to go. And you hear about their grandmothers and their mothers and their aunts and their uncles and their children and their grandchildren. It's all there. There's no, you know, it's all there out in the open. So uh, please keep this up. So wonderful to have you uh, on the team. and. Uh, the Grey Panthers, this is a top issue for the Grey Panthers. It has been in the past and will continue to be. And you'll be hearing from us more, and we appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. 
I don't have any more uh, slips from people in the room. Is there anyone else who wants to make a comment on this item in the room? Is there anyone on the Yes, um, there's one remote public comment. Jaime, please um, unmute the caller. Caller, please let us know that you're there. You've got three minutes. Oh, hi, this is Dr. Teresa Palmer. I'm a community member and a member of the Great Panthers. And um, I hear a lot about smoothing with the community to calm them down, but I don't hear much about one person who was pre prevented from being exposed to this toxic dump or one person who was monitored for cancer. Um, Dr. Sumchai talked about a curtain on the Western uh, fence line months ago, and there's still no curtain on the Western fence line. How hard is that to do? Uh, how hard is it to um, uh, tell the Navy uh, that you, San Francisco should not take this land from the Navy. There should not be any building on this land. All of the efforts should go into shielding, cleaning up the land and shielding the community from exposure to the toxic soup and dust. And um, what I hear, it just sounds like damage control and not real action to me. And um, I'm sure glad I don't live in Hunter's Point. Thanks a lot. Okay, please mute and that's the last caller. Great, well, thank you all for being here and thank you for your advocacy. We're, we really appreciate it. We'll, we'll go to commissioner questions and comments. Commissioner Gerardo. I'd like to thank you and Dr. Phillips for really um, moving forward on our August 2023 comments and um, encouragement to go forward with the community so that they are, they've been heard. Um, and I really laud your efforts and I know there's more to come, but I, I really want to say that I know our committee was very um, vocal in trying to push forward and you are following through. I do want to make sure though that just for the record that DPH is not responsible for the actual testing of soil or any of that. What you are doing is what this department is responsible for in in with the public and going forward in um, with the plan. I'm going to ask you to, um, I know it, with a five-year plan, <clears throat> since this is a topic of extreme interest to our group, if we could then have a um, follow-up at the end of each year rather than at, at five years. Um, I think it would be most informative and helpful not only for us but also for the community as well. So thank you. Thank you, Commissioner. Commissioner Christian. Thank you, uh, President Green. Thank you for being here and for this presentation. It is uh, a huge step in the right direction that we, this uh, commission, engaged uh, with the department about uh, a number of months ago. And um, so thank you for that and very glad to see the building out of this effort and uh, how uh, Dr. Philip, you and your colleagues have laid out the path, created a path and are sharing it with us. 
I appreciate all of the engagement. It is always the first and most necessary thing to begin and always to continue to do. But the word that I feel is missing, I don't see it anywhere here, is advocacy on behalf of the community. Uh, the point of listening and understanding, I mean, from my perspective as a, from my perspective, uh, the point of listening and understanding is to learn what the community needs and and what is true and what we can document and uh, even learn more than what the community itself is telling us what it needs. Uh, as the Department of Public Health, it's my feeling, my strong feeling, and someone can, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, that it is our responsibility to advocate on behalf of the community for the community's health uh, and welfare. And we have this very specific situation here where the Navy, uh, uh, well, the government, federal government owned the land, the Navy owned the land, the Navy is responsible for cleaning it up. And once they say they've cleaned it up, it's up to San Francisco to decide whether or not we're gonna accept the land. Uh, time has shown us uh, that that path is not as clean as uh, it was meant to be that uh, most simply probably because of the rising water, we will never have this really definitive time. Again, I'm not a physician, I'm not a scientist, but it seems like we're always gonna have this issue of uh, danger rising to the surface. And so um, what I wanna understand is your view of what you're going to do with uh, the results of the engagement, all of the information that uh, you gain as a result of being in community and working with community, convening with community. Uh, I understand that it is not within the authority of the Department of Public Health or the city and county of San Francisco to make the Navy do anything, but it is certainly, I think, our responsibility and our ability to stand there and say, okay, this is what we've learned. This is what the science tells us. This is what you're doing. It's adequate, it's inadequate, whatever it is. I know for the, some parcels we're past the point of where we've accepted the land, but other, other parcels we haven't. So I'd like to understand what role you are imagining this, uh, the department, this aspect of the department will have in not after it listens and understands what the community needs. And aside from just, you know, aside from even also standing beside the community when uh, the community members and the community as a whole bring their concerns and their data to the department. Well, thank you, uh, Commissioner Christensen. Um, we do see our role uh, to uplift uh, the concerns of community. And I think part of that is um, those concerns are ongoing. And so I think we have taken the approach that we want to establish those lines of communication so that we are in deep enough relationship and partnership with community that we understand issues as they arise. Now, we may not be in a position and of, of authority to directly address all of those issues, but that's where our engagement with the Navy and regulatory agencies come in. And so our approach is about 
bringing those two parties to the table with community so that those concerns can be voiced directly to the appropriate agency. And from our work and our time and our listening, we've learned that that has not happened on a consistent basis. And so uh, that is definitely a part of our approach to get community answers directly uh, to those uh, responsible parties real time. And I'm glad that the five-year review has been mentioned as an avenue because this is a moment uh, where we have a document that lays out what is supposed to happen and an evaluation of what has occurred. And so community voice can be heard in that process. So in our most immediate steps, I think giving the community the access one to the document um, and then two, uh, not just handing them hundreds of pages, but ensuring that that is presented to them in a way uh, that they have meaningful opportunity to engage with the document. And so that is really the reason for us to be in the room, at the table, in communication with regulatory agencies and the Navy to say that we want to make sure community members have this document presented to them in a way that they can have meaningful opportunities to participate. And it's also, uh, we've seen our role is to be in the room when the community members are getting information. Uh, is it understandable? Has it been thoroughly um, explained to the uh, to the standard that community is hoping? Do folks have a place where they can voice their concerns to know that someone is listening to it? And is it the, the right agency? Um, and so that is, is what I have seen and in terms of our needs in this uh, most immediate phase. And obviously those will continue to evolve over time. And so the reason to have so much expertise in an interdisciplinary form is to make sure that we are covering all of the different components uh, that uh, this very complex issue requires to give a comprehensive uh, response to uh, the issue. And, and that has been uh, definitely uh, a significant part of our, our new approach on the issue. I appreciate that um, expansion of uh, the role and, and thank you. So thank you for that explanation. And so I still have the question of where is the advocacy from the department as you see it when the information has been brought forward? Very important to make sure to not only understand what the community is, is, under, see, is feeling and experiencing uh, uh, by living on, uh, by being in this land, on this land, uh, but to be by, with them at the table uh, when they're when there's discussion with the Navy or dialogue with the Navy. But um, again, I could be wrong, but it seems to me that it is important for the department to be more than um, uh, someone sitting by the side of the community advocating for itself. The department has experts of its own, not the kind that will cover every issue here, but certainly um, people who have the capacity scientifically to look at what the information is and and say, put the finger on the scale and say, this is not adequate. This is a problem. This is going to be, uh, this is not going to solve our issues. Or do you understand what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to understand whether or not uh, in this, the plan that you're, you've, you're creating and, and building out, where is that advocacy to bring the department's expertise, whatever it is, 
to the table and not just be sitting by the community as it presents and understands what the Navy is saying. Commissioner, if I may, if I may answer that, because I think that, that there's a broad range of issues from clinical to soil to, to air. And I think it's very difficult to, to, to speculate, but I do think that there are areas in which we will see that the science and the standard um, is, is perhaps not being met. And we may hear that from community. It may be something we see on our review, which is exactly why we have technical experts also looking at the documents and the plans. And in that situation, if that were to arise, we, we would have a voice. And, and who knows what that direction would be. It might be direct communication. It might be actually public uh, letters or public fora. But I, I hesitate to speculate on exactly what that action would be until we know what is the issue that we are, what is the issue at, at hand in which we disagree with the path that is, that is happening. But your, your point is well taken that that is within the range of the actions and the responsibilities that we should that we should we should see for ourselves as a department. Uh, Dr. Phillip, I respect your um, uh, really prudent and uh, desire not to speculate on something that you sh we shouldn't be speculating about. But I think what I'm asking is for the word advocacy to be blended in, built into this plan, because certainly you can't say what you would be advocating for, but certainly, but clearly uh, you, we must always say, and we must always be able to say that we will be advocating as best we can yeah. for the health and safety of our community, whatever that means in the moment. So I appreciate your, um, you know, your, uh, your rigor about that, but what I'm asking for is uh, uh, that this plan, which I'm very grateful for, and as it continues to develop, make it clear that we will be advocating for the health and safety of the community that uh, based on the science and the experience and the data that has been collected that and will be collected based on um, historical reports about disease, uh, that people who've lived on this land have, you know, uh, have encountered. And as we move forward, all the data points that are, are necessary to have, uh, because I feel like that's our responsibility. Thank you, commissioners. I, I, I believe that maybe we just haven't made it as explicit, but our, our, our job is to, to help ensure that the most health protective approaches are taken. So we will, we will be explicit in ensuring that that is part of what we have as as our, our internal discussion and then how we externally frame our work as well. Thank does you. that help That's, approach? Yeah, that? that does help because in, you know, in my brief time on the community, you know, compared to some folks, um, that is how we, uh, the department approaches everything, right? And that's what the department does. And so thank you for, thank you for that. And I think it is absolutely necessary for when you, to redraft, to supplement this plan and use the word advocate uh, and talk about how we will advocate, as we always do, on behalf of the health and safety uh, for of our communities. So, because it's something you know, uh, from my perspective, which is not as deep as any of the public comment commenters here have, uh, the department has not done that in the past. Thank you so much. Uh, appreciate your work. Have a, 
enormous confidence in you based on everything that you have done and who I have learned you to be. Uh, but I just really feel like we need to be much stronger uh, and realize that this is our community, this is our health, and we can't just sit by as the Navy tells us something and they say that we're gonna, they're going to do that. I think whatever judgments we can have scientifically uh, to say that is not going to really be enough. We have no authority to make you do anything, but we're not going to sign off on your view of what you say is enough unless we think it's enough. And Commissioner Chung. Um, again, thank you, um, Director Phillips and Deputy Director King for the presentations. And I just want to, I'm, I'm not here to speak for Commissioner Christians, but Commissioner <laughs> Commissioner Christian and I came from the same um, place, which is when we were on the Health, uh, Human Rights Commission, we've been hearing about these stories. We've been hearing about the complaints that the community had. And unfortunately, at that time, our hands were tied and we couldn't really like figure out how we can do something, even though we have a report on environmental racism. And so this is an amazing opportunity for us to be able to advocate, you know, like for the people of San Francisco, because that's our job. And that's also what we believe in. And, um, and what Commissioner Christian didn't say in the word advocacy is like, because there are actual harm possibly being done to some of the residents in um, Hunter's Point. And, you know, like, um, are there any other recourse? You know, like if we could actually, because of this process, show that those were the harms that was done and, you know, and what would that be like? I think that that's really the important part of it is like we can, we can say, oh, we found out about this, you know, like we're going to do this to prevent that. But what about those who have already been harmed? And, you know, and some of those harms sounds like it's irreversible. Yeah, I, I would also point out that the three commissioners who have commented are the members of the uh, Community and Public Health Committee. So they've delved into this quite deeply. And I think everyone can hear the passion they have for this, this issue. Um, Commissioner Chow has his hand up. Oh, <clears throat> yes, thank you. And and I I also do appreciate the uh, dialogue that our three commissioners have uh, expressed uh, a need um, for um, a further understanding of the actions that we're going to be taking uh, on behalf of the community, which goes along with the... Uh, 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 the interdisciplinary uh, teams uh, guides here, which uh, 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 Director Philip has already uh, again re-emphasized, ensuring that the health and well-being of residents is protected. And, and, and I do think that, um, while I, I would say that this is actually one of the best presentations on uh, what uh, uh, we are going to be looking at doing at Hunters Point. Uh, it's the beginning of what should be then uh, our role, which is to uh, then take the issues that they have, not only hear the issues, but to do whatever we as a department should be doing. Uh, and, and this is a way from 
the uh, exact technical uh, work that the Navy is doing. And, and uh, I think that uh, everything just uh, preceding us here is uh, really important. It brings up uh, my concern that I see that there is a lot of um, opportunity for community output and communication, but that uh, it doesn't actually give us, uh, and, and this might be what uh, 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 Ms. King was saying, that uh, we don't really have the data about the um, uh, health status uh, in the manner that we would like in order uh, in Hunter's Point. We certainly have had a great deal of initiatives, uh, a lot of initiatives for the entire African American community and particularly in the Bayview, but uh, it's probably important to be sure that we also have this as a uh, subsection of this and understand exactly uh, because the rest of the Bayview doesn't have the same types of toxic issues that it appears that Hunter's Point uh, is still going through. So as, as we're uh, uh, going through this work, it is titled Hunter's Point's uh, Naval Shipyard uh, Update. Uh, I, th I think we need to see as, as we're investing in the Bayview Hunters Point community, we don't lose sight that the Hunters Point community is really the focus of this since we already have uh, the African American initiative that has been working on the entire Bayview. This is really an important subset of it. Uh, and, and, and with the number of uh, different uh, committees and, and groups and community hearings. I'm uh, wondering that as you give us a report back about this, and this is of course your, uh, you know, a working structure, whether you found that some of these are actually duplicative or really they do uh, work on uh, different community uh, 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 opportunities for for input. Um, I, I, I think uh, I haven't counted them, but the more that uh, I heard the presentation, it sounded like there was uh, at least over a half a dozen committees. And, and whether they are duplicative or overlapping, I think it's important as uh, you proceed on this new initiative uh, to, uh, uh, you know, refine that and, and make sure that uh, you're not also then uh, uh, you know, taking your own uh, time and, and the uh, resources that we have, uh, that we're just getting input and that we're um, uh, duplicating some of it. Uh, it's just sort of uh, a concern I would have as, as I listen to all the different engagements and all. But this is a new initiative. It's, it's one I think that uh, offers us hope that we might then be able to understand the problems particularly of the residents of Hunter's Point. Um, with the uh, fact that there is going to be the five-year uh, report that's going to close in March, uh, it would seem that we should uh, continue to be monitoring this and rather than waiting five more years or even one year, that uh, we should have some sort of progress that comes back when that five-year plan actually comes out in its final form so that we could understand what that was uh, 
all about, and particularly what they are looking for in the future. And that we also then understand how well this new uh, integrated structure, this new uh, team that, that you put together have actually uh, been able to function. So I, I, I will leave it to the president as to how to schedule that. But, but I do think that we should get an update on how this is progressing. Uh, we certainly shouldn't be just waiting for a uh, annual report. Uh, this is a new initiative, and I think our interest here in seeing that the public is protected at Hermes Point says that we should get an interim report of some sort. Well, I really appreciate the presentations. I think the explanation of the work you're doing to engage the community was so very helpful. And, you know, we understand that you have no hand in testing. You have no hand in remediation. Um, and I think what some of the commissioners have mentioned, it would be very helpful after you get the response to what all the input on the five-year report to have you come back to us and give us your impressions. We'd like to hear from the community to know what they think, but also, you know, what your interactions have been because you, you don't have a lot of power over the Navy or the EPA or all these other organizations that really, in a way, are, are, are those that are determining um, the safety of the area. But it would be very helpful, that report, I don't know if people have looked at it, it's over 550 pages, and even someone with a scientific background, I think, would, would find it difficult to interpret. But knowing that you brought together this multidisciplinary team, that they can, in fact, take the comments from the public, take the concerns, put them in the context that then they're analogous um, individuals at the Navy and other organizations within the government can understand, in other words, we have a role where we can translate the concerns of the public in terms that really can have an impact with those who ultimately have the power to clean this area up. And, and it would be wonderful to hear exactly how they do respond to your comments and also to get the comments that, that not only the DPH submits to the five-year review, but also any members of the public who might as well. I think we could review those and then at some point where it works for you to come back and give us your impressions. How did the Navy react to the comments and you know what should we be doing as advocates? I think we all agree that we are here to advocate for the residents. And we just want to know the most effective way to do that within the limits of, of, of our jurisdiction. So does that sound reasonable? You, you've obviously heard how concerned we all are. So we are so appreciative of the work. Deputy Director King, you're, you're wonderful. And we're so pleased to have you as part of this effort. So, and, and obviously the leadership, as others have said, of, of Dr. Phillips is, is unquestionable. So we appreciate the presentation. We will look forward to hearing more. And, and thank you so much for, for being here and doing all this work. And before we move on to the next item, if I may, um, there's a bathroom on the first floor. I know many of you have been sitting for quite a while. Please take some deep breaths. This has all been, you know, both lovely and intense. And so please take care of yourselves. Um, feel free to leave when you need to, go to the bathroom when you need to. We're about to head into another item. I just wanted to, as a human being to another human beings, just make sure that we're all, you know, taking care of ourselves. See, this is why we love being on the commission, because Secretary Morowitz takes care of us. <laughs> All right, so now the next item is uh, the Prop Q hearing, which is the first of two hearings. This one is more an informational hearing. And just to remind everyone here, the Health Commission can only say that we think um, the changes that are proposed will or will not um, adversely affect the health of San Franciscans. So we want to hear from the public. We obviously want to hear from 
uh, UC and and uh, Common Spirit and uh, hear more about the um, proposed changes. And then at the next meeting is when we actually um, uh, take a vote. So we have several individuals here. Um, we'll start with Claire Altman from the Department of Public Health. And then we'll hear, I believe, from UC, then uh, the people from St. Francis, St. Mary's. Or the other way around? Dignity, then UC. Dignity, then UC. All right. Slides are up. Right. Hello and good afternoon or good early evening, commissioners. Uh, my name is Claire Altman and I'm a senior health program planner with the uh, DPH Office of Policy and Planning. And I'm here today for the first of two Proposition Q hearings around the UCSF Health Acquisition of Dignity Health Hospitals and Associated Clinics. And in preparation for this presentation, you all have received a memo that provides more detailed information about the acquisition. And I also want to note that we have representatives from UCSF Health and Dignity Health here today who will be uh, speaking after this presentation. Next slide, please. So for background, on November 28th of 2023, Dignity Health notified the Health Commission that UCSF Health will acquire the assets and operations of St. Mary's St. Francis and their associated outpatient clinics. And on Monday, February 5th, UCSF Health announced that they have signed a definitive agreement with Dignity Health for the acquisition and the organizations hope to close the transaction this spring. So to frame the department's presentation, I'd like to provide first a summary of Proposition Q and what brings us here today. So Prop Q was passed by the voters in 1988 and requires private hospitals in San Francisco to provide public notice prior to closing an inpatient or outpatient uh, facility, prior to eliminating or reducing the level of services provided, or prior to the leasing, selling, or transfer of management. And Prop Q authorizes the Health Commission to make a determination of whether the reported change will or will not have a detrimental impact on healthcare services in the community. The Health Commission does not have the authority to change the outcome of the proposed action. I also want to note that the California Attorney General has oversight authority over nonprofit healthcare mergers and acquisitions. The AG's responsibility is to review acquisitions and either approve, conditionally approve, or disapprove of transactions. And as of today, the AG has not made a determination regarding the UCSF Health Acquisition of Dignity Health Hospitals and Associated Clinics. Next slide, please. So for an overview of this transaction, UCSF Health and Dignity Health, Health have finalized the terms of an agreement in which UCSF Health would acquire two community hospitals, St. Francis Medical Center, or St. Francis Memorial Hospital and St. Mary's Medical Center, and the associated outpatient clinics in San Francisco. The transaction would add 569 licensed acute care beds to UCSF's current licensed bed capacity of over 1,000 acute care beds in San Francisco. The acquisition would also bring a number of specialty services under UCSF, which I'm gonna speak about over the next few slides. Next slide, please. So beginning with St. Mary's Medical Center, it was founded in 1857 and is an accredited not-for-profit general acute care hospital located across the street from Golden Gate Park. St. Mary's provides a variety of unique services in San Francisco. Some highlighted services are listed on the slide, but are not comprehensive of all the services that are offered at St. Mary's. 
So speaking about a few, the Macaulay, the Macaulay Adolescent Inpatient Unit is a short-term inpatient acute crisis unit for adolescents age 11 to 17. And it's the only inpatient crisis unit for adolescents in San Francisco. Also, the Macaulay Counseling Enriched Education Program is an intensive educational and therapeutic program that's run in conjunction with the San Francisco Unified School District and DPH Behavioral Health Services. St. Mary's campus is also home to the Sister Mary Philippa Health Center, which provides adult primary care, social services, and HIV care, and the Women's Health Center, which offers comprehensive screening and diagnostic women's health services. And then in addition to the hospital services provided by Dignity Health at St. Mary's Medical Center, there are also critical services that are co-located on their campus. And that includes a 54-bed mental health rehabilitation center called the San Francisco Healing Center that is operated by Crestwood Behavioral Health, and also includes Kentfield Hospital San Francisco, which is a 60-bed critical care hospital. UCSF Health has said that after the transaction, the agreements in place for these services will continue to be honored so that they can remain on that campus. I'd also like to note that Dignity Health has been a longtime partner of the department in providing uh, healthcare services to the healthcare safety net population, and DPH clients um, receive services at St. Mary's and St. Francis hospitals, including at Macaulay Adolescent Inpatient Unit, the Counseling and Rich Education Program, and at Crestwood. Next slide, please. So St. Francis Memorial Hospital, located atop Knob Hill, is an accredited, an accredited not-for-profit general acute care hospital that has been providing healthcare in San Francisco for more than 100 years. St. Francis is the closest hospital to downtown San Francisco and is a critical resource to the city and to the nearby communities of the Tenderloin, Knob Hill, Civic Center, and Russian Hill neighborhoods. Some highlighted services at St. Francis include the Botham Burn Center, which is the only burn center in the city, an adult inpatient psychiatric unit, which is an essential service for the city, and the St. Francis Memorial Hospital Gender Institute, which provides health services to transgender patients and their families. Next slide, please. The UCSF Health Acquisition would also include Dignity Health Medical Foundation and the Associated Clinics of St. Francis and St. Mary's, presented on the map above. The acquisition does not include the clinics that are operated through a joint venture between Dignity Health and Go Health, which you may have seen across the city. The parties do intend to separately transition all healthcare services that Dignity Health currently provides at the Go Health clinics uh, to UCSF Health. And so across the associated uh, clinics, since 2019, Dignity Health has served an average of around 12,000 unique patients for about 32,000 visits each year. Next slide, please. Right. So these services, some of them were mentioned on a prior slide, but they're worth repeating that Dignity Hospitals operate important behavioral health and emergency services for the city of San Francisco. And some of these are presented on the slide here. Behavioral health services and emergency care continue to be essential services for the city. And UCSF Health has specified that with the additional capacity that is expected to result from the acquisition, it's their intent to expand, expand gender-affirming care programs, maintain and grow adolescent and adult behavioral health programs, and advance care programs for patients living with HIV. UCSF Health is also committed to maintaining the current capacity of both St. Mary's and St. Francis emergency departments and, plans, and plan to make early investments in both emergency departments. Next slide, please. 
So now that we've introduced the hospitals, the clinics, and some of the services, this slide presents a summary of the transaction. UCSF Health has publicly stated their commitment to maintaining all of St. Francis and St. Mary's existing services and plans to invest in programs and infrastructure. UCSF Health has stated their intention for St. Mary's and St. Francis to continue to operate as full service community hospitals. And additionally, with the acquisition, the hospitals and the clinics will no longer be subject to ethical and religious directives for Catholic healthcare services or Dignity Health's statement of common values. And so as the cities will, or as the hospitals will no longer be subject to policy-based restrictions on care, access to reproductive care, for example, elective and direct abortions um, is expected to increase. Regarding staffing, UCSF Health has committed to the retention of the employees of both hospitals and has stated that St. Francis and St. Mary's will retain their open medical staff models. And as mentioned before, UCSF Health does expect to be able to serve more patients at St. Francis and St. Mary's, so there may be increases in staffing as necessary. Regarding patient care, UCSF Health provided that patients will continue to have access to all services and providers that they have today, and it will continue to honor all insurance agreements that are presently available at St. Mary's and St. Francis. UCSF Health also provided that the process to transition payer agreements is ongoing and they will know more as they get close to close, closing the transaction. Finally, UCSF has engaged with uh, multiple stakeholders throughout this process and will continue regular outreach to elected officials and to community organizations as the process to integrate the uh, hospitals continues. Next slide, please. All right. So for the next few slides, I'm gonna be presenting data about utilization of the hospitals and the profile of patients who receive services at St. Mary's and St. Francis. And the pur purpose of showing some of the highlights of demographic data is to provide a greater understanding of the unique patient populations that are served by these community hospitals. And unless otherwise noted, the data on the following slides was provided to DPH from Dignity Health and from UCSF Health. Just next slide, please. So from 2019 through 2023, St. Francis saw an average of 4,266 inpatient discharges annually. St. Mary's saw a similar volume with an average of 4,440 inpatient discharges annually. UCSF Health treats a much larger volume of patients at their, at their San Francisco hospitals, which include Parnassus, Mount Zion and Langley, Langley Porter and Mission Bay. And since 2019, UCSF has averaged nearly 35,000 inpatient discharges annually. In 2020, all hospitals showed a decrease in the number of discharges. But in the years following, inpatient discharges from UCSF hospitals have neared their 2019 volume. But since 2020, inpatient discharges from St. Mary's and St. Francis has fluctuated. And comparing 2023 to pre-pandemic 2019 inpatient discharges, St. Mary's has seen a 24% reduction and St. Francis has seen a 22% reduction. Additionally, I wanna note that UCSF Health serves a larger proportion of out-of-county residents. According to data from the California Department of Healthcare Access and Information, in 2022, approximately 36% of inpatient discharges from UCSF hospitals were residents of San Francisco. Meanwhile, 58% of St. Francis inpatient discharges and 68% of St. Mary's inpatient discharges were residents of San Francisco. Next slide, please. 
So another way to look at utilization is by reviewing the license bed occupancy rate, which represents the percentage of licensed beds that are occupied over a period of time. In this case, it's a year. The chart here shows the license bed occupancy rate for general acute care beds at St. Mary's, St. Francis, UCSF hospitals, and an average across all San Francisco hospitals. And the data was accessed through the California Department of Healthcare Access and Information. The figure shows that UCSF hospitals have a higher occupancy rate than St. Mary's, St. Francis, and across the average of all San Francisco hospitals. And conversely, both St. Mary's and St. Francis have lower occupancy rates uh, compared to the average across all San Francisco hospitals. Next slide, please. So like I mentioned before, St. Francis and St. Mary's hospitals serve distinct populations. And the patient populations that are served at both of these hospitals are distinct from the population that is served at UCSF Health Hospitals. So as mentioned earlier, the purpose of showing these highlights of demographic data is really to provide a greater understanding of the unique patient population that these hospitals are serving. So data from 2023 showed that more than 50% of St. Mary's inpatient encounters were adults over the age of 65. And more than half of St. Mary's inpatient discharges and 45% of St. Francis discharges identified as non-white or multiracial. And a greater proportion of patients at St. Francis and St. Mary's have public insurance who are, or who are uninsured compared to UCSF Health. And I'm gonna be discussing that a bit more on the next slide. So next slide, please. So like I mentioned for this slide, we are focusing on the patient population by payer type. So across inpatient, emergency, and outpatient encounters, St. Francis serves a greater proportion of Medi-Cal patients. And additionally, across each level of care, both St. Francis and St. Mary's have a greater proportion of publicly insured uh, Medi-Cal or Medicare and uninsured patients compared to UCSF Health. Since 2019, St. Francis has experienced an increase in the proportion of patients who are Medi-Cal beneficiaries for both inpatient and emergency care. And in 2023, 49% of St. Francis emergency encounters were Medi-Cal beneficiaries. Across emergency and outpatient care, commercial payer types represents the largest proportion of UCSF encounters. And as provided by UCSF, they are committed to caring for all patients regardless of their ability to pay. And they will continue to honor all insurance agreements that are presently available at St. Mary's and St. Francis hospitals. Next slide, please. So briefly, I'd like to discuss San Francisco's hospital utilization landscape and the potential impacts of the acquisition on healthcare costs and access. So in 2022, UCSF Health accounted for approximately 36% of all inpatient discharges from San Francisco facilities. Dignity Health Hospitals, both St. Francis and St. Mary's combined, represented 8% of all discharges from San Francisco facilities. With UCSF's commitment to maintaining services, and programs across the hospitals and ensuring a seamless transition for patients. After the acquisition, UCSF may have approximately 44% of the inpatient healthcare market in San Francisco and 35% of emergency visits in San Francisco. The UCSF Health acquisition of Dignity Hospitals and Associated clinic, uh, Clinics in San Francisco will lead to a more consolidated healthcare market. In a consolidated market, a small number of hospital systems, medical groups, or insurers have a large market share. And evidence shows that healthcare acquisitions lead to higher healthcare costs and that consolidation impacts on the quality of patient care is mixed. There's also limited research on the effects of consolidation on patient access. 
So therefore, the extent of the impact of, of the UCSF health acquisition of Dignity Health Hospitals and associated clinics on healthcare costs, healthcare access, and healthcare quality is unknown at this time. Next slide, please. So to conclude, I'd like to just reiterate some of the commitments that UCSF Health has made regarding the acquisition of Dignity Health Hospitals and associated clinics. Uh, UCSF Health is committed to maintaining both St. Mary's and St. Francis Hospitals as full-service community hospitals and to maintaining the existing services that both hospitals offer the community. It is, uh, UCSF Health is also committed to maintaining the capacity and services that are provided at each hospital's associated outpatient clinics. It's also committed to retaining the employees of both St. Francis and St. Mary's hospitals and have committed to maintaining essential behavioral health and emergency services for San Francisco. UCSF Health has also publicly stated that they will continue to honor all insurance agreements that are presently available at St. Francis and St. Mary's. Next slide, please. And so to conclude my presentation, the department has provided the following recommendation. The UCSF health acquisition of the assets and operations of Dignity Health St. Mary's Medical Center and St. Francis Memorial Hospital and their associated outpatient clinics will not have a detrimental impact on healthcare services in the community contingent upon UCSF health maintaining agreements with all existing payers and organizations currently covering services at the hospitals contingent upon UCSF Health maintaining or expanding services that are provided at the hospitals and clinics, and contingent upon UCSF Health maintaining or increasing staffing to support the operations in, of the hospitals and clinics. And the department also recommends that the Health Commission receive periodic updates from UCSF Health regarding the acquisition and hospital integration process. And just as a reminder, you all have received a copy of a draft resolution, which includes this recommendation for your consideration and for your discussion today. Next slide, please. All right, so thank you for your time. Um, I'd not, next like to invite uh, Darren Kumar, President and CEO of St. Francis Memorial Hospital and St. Mary's Medical Center to present on behalf of Dignity Health. First of all, Claire did an amazing job giving an overview of that. So thank you for that. Um, very happy to be here uh, today. Very appreciate being in front of the uh, board here, being with our colleagues with UCSF as well, which I think is a very unique transaction uh, that, we're, that we're working through here. And I think something that's going to be very beneficial for San Francisco. So I appreciate the opportunity to share with you my thoughts on that. Next slide. I would just share with you, one of the reasons I'm here in San Francisco, and I live in San Francisco, I moved here three years ago, uh, came here to be the president and CEO for these two hospitals, is the mission of these two hospitals. They are two amazing medical centers that have been in the San Francisco community for many, many, many years, serving some, some of the most vulnerable populations. And what I love is the mission of these two hospitals. And what I really love is that we'll continue to have that mission moving forward and happy to share with you a little bit more about that. Next slide, please. We heard a little bit about St. Mary's already, um, and you got a lot of detail about what we do there. Um, founded in 1857 by the Sisters of Mercy. Um, very unique services that are provided there that we've talked about already. Also one of the first HIV clinics in San Francisco was done right at St. Mary's. So uh, that was an amazing um, program that we started there and continue to do today and will continue to do well into the future. Next slide, please. 
St. Francis, I think, um, you know, was started by physicians, um, became a not-for-profit hospital. Uh, we take care of some of the most vulnerable populations in all of San Francisco. The Tenderloin is our clientele and our residents, and I walk through there every day when I come to work. Um, and we take care of a very vulnerable population, and, and I appreciate how well our staff and our physicians take care of that population. They take that mission very seriously. And once again, we'll continue to do that moving forward. The burn unit is the largest burn unit in Northern California. They do an amazing service there, the Bothan burn unit. And our gender affirmation surgery program with wraparound services around it is something that's very unique at St. Francis and something I'm looking forward to see flourish um, underneath this transaction. Next slide, please. Uh, this just shares a little bit more about the unique services that we provide here. Uh, I did want to highlight that St. Francis sees the highest number of psychiatric ambulance transfers of any hospital within San Francisco. And we take care of that population extremely well, even more than Zuckerberg does. Um, and if you look at the top percentage of homeless, uh, we are two of the three top emergency departments in taking care of the homeless population that we have as well. And um, do an amazing job in partnership with the city in making sure that we get resources uh, to these patients as well. Once again, that is something that we'll continue. Also wanna share graduate medical education. We have a graduate medical education program at St. Mary's, family internal medicine, um, as well as orthopedics. And while UCSF also has graduate medical education, we have a community-based program that works with providers who want to stay within the community and independent practices for us as well. So there's a little bit of uniqueness to our program that we have as well that we'll continue to move with. Next slide, please. Uh, we talked about payer mix already, and I think this is an important component. Most of our payer mix is government payer, Medi-Cal, Medicare. We have a limited amount of commercial insurance within our hospitals. Part of that has to do is we are not really an integrated healthcare system within San Francisco. We're two hospitals. We've got a small physician foundation. We have independent physicians of practice um, within our hospital. We're not part of a large integrated healthcare system, which UCSF will bring. Um, to us moving forward. So it's a, it's a good picture of our payer mix. Um, and that payer mix is causing some challenges, which I'll talk to um, in just a little bit. We've got many, next slide, please. We've got many strengths uh, at these hospitals. Um, the ones we really picked out was patient-centered quality care at a community hospital, which is different care than you get in an academic um, setting. We've got extremely long-term employees which have a deep knowledge of the work that we do and also our connections within the city to be able to provide services uh, for our patients as well. We have an extremely passionate and loyal group of independent physicians uh, who have their deep relationships with patients. Many of them have gone through our residency program at St. Mary's and stayed in the community to take care of their patients moving forward. So I'm extremely happy that we'll continue with an open medical staff and those physicians will continue to practice uh, within our hospitals. And then from a quality perspective, we do have some of the best quality in the city. St. Mary's Medical Center was recognized as a top 250 hospital for quality in the nation for the work that they do there. So we have a lot of strengths. Next slide, please. Our challenges. Uh, these hospitals have been challenged financially for a number of years. And coming out of COVID, um, it really impacted them dramatically and has really struggled uh, for these hospitals. Um, to reinvest in infrastructure, reinvest in, in the care that we provide as well. So it's it's been a challenge for us, and a lot of that also has to do with a high amount of government payer that we have. Uh, we do have challenges recruiting staff and physicians. I think some of that has had to do, there's been an uncertainty of what St. Mary's and St. Francis will look like 
in the future with people knowing what our financial challenges are. It's a challenge to recruit to San Francisco. It's even a larger challenge to recruit into a, a something that's not an integrated healthcare system for us as well. We have seismic and infrastructure issues. Uh, we do have uh, seismic upgrades that need to happen at both hospitals as it, cur as it currently sits by 2030, uh, an investment that needs to occur in that. We've got infrastructure that we have not been able to invest in uh, within these hospitals that a partnership with UCSF will help us um, manage. Um, and we have seen since COVID um, a huge increase in our labor costs, um, a huge increase in our supplies and with a much smaller commercial payer mix, it's tough to offset those costs that we've had, which has caused some huge financial challenges for us. Next slide, please. Um, I cannot think of a better partner than UCSF Health uh, to partner with for the future of us moving forward. Um, Common Spirit Health is the largest provider of Medi-Cal in the state of California. Uh, UCSF also sees a large amount of Medi-Cal patients uh, within San Francisco. Um, as I shared with you earlier, St. Francis sees the highest uh, number of behavioral health transports in San Francisco, and I think our partnership with UCSF will help us um, handle that as well. And I also think about our shared mission. We both have a shared mission of been in San Francisco a long time, taking care of some of the most vulnerable populations within San Francisco. They've been a great partner with us around that. When I think of the efforts that we did during COVID um, and our vaccination uh, stations that we put together, we worked very closely with UCSF to be able to pull that on behalf of our residents of San Francisco. Next slide, please. So the acquisition we heard, transfer ownership of St. Francis and St. Mary's to UCSF Health, I want to reiterate and point out that both hospitals will remain community hospitals, and that's extremely important. Uh, as community hospitals, we can be much more flexible um, in how we provide care to our patients. We can be much more affordable in how we take care of the populations of patients that we have. Um, so being a community hospital is a real big plus to be able to remain that with this transaction that, that's occurring. Um, we will increase access of care for our patients and that will happen both within our hospitals. We have capacity to take care of more patients that are part of an integrated healthcare system. We can help UCSF with the capacity challenges that they have. Um, there are times when we have challenges in our own emergency department getting complex patients that can't get care at our hospital to UCSF because they're full. Um, and we can help offload some of those patients so that they can take care of the complex patients that they need to at UCSF. So I think this will be a win for, for both of us. Um, and as we increase our volume and increase growth, that, that brings additional staff into our organizations as well to be able to take care of that. Um, and once again, I really think this will increase access to patients within San Francisco and beyond San Francisco as well moving forward. So that's a huge component of what we're trying to accomplish. Next slide, please. Uh, talk about staff. The workforce of the two hospitals and clinics will be maintained. UCSF has committed to that. We know that we will see growth and we will need to recruit more staff to support the growth that we're going to see at both of our hospitals. Um, staff will continue to be employed by the community hospitals itself, um, which I think is an important component as well. We have committed to clear and transparent communication with our staff, and we've done numbers of town halls with our staff. I will tell you, 98% plus of the staff we talk to are extremely excited um, about what the opportunity lays for us uh, moving forward. Uh, our Dignity Health Labor Relations team has been providing regular updates to the unions and the collective, collective bargaining agreements uh, that we have as well. 
um, and staff and positions. I'm sure both are really excited about the transition and the transaction and how it'll benefit our patients uh, moving forward and how our physicians will continue to be able to practice how they practiced in taking care of their patients, but there'll be more resources to help them in doing that moving forward. So next slide, please. Um, I'm extremely excited um, about this transition. Um, this is a very strong future for these two-storied hospitals that have been around for a long time uh, within San Francisco. Um, it allows them to expand. It allows them to increase access. Uh, it allows us to be part of an integrated healthcare system in UCSF, which will benefit all of our patients and all of our residents within, within San Francisco. So thank you for your time. I appreciate you letting me share uh, my thoughts on the transaction. Thank you so much. I guess now we'll hear from UCSF. Good evening. I'm Suresh Gunasekar, and I'm uh, president and CEO of UCSF Health. I actually uh, took the job two years ago. Uh, it's a return to the Bay Area for me. So I'm originally from Nashville, and I moved out here after college, and I lived in the Hate, and um, I worked um, down in Mountain View for five years and did the reverse commute. And during that time, um, I had friends that received care at both St. Mary's because it was right, it was the closest hospital to, to where I lived and uh, visited patients at St. Francis. And so taking this job at UCSF Health and talking to you about this transaction, it's fundamentally based on uh, the fact that UCSF Health has learned a lot during this journey. Of, of being a part of this city, and most specifically during the pandemic, understanding how all of us within the city can work together to have a greater impact if we're very intentional about how we collaborate. And as we look at our realities at UCSF Health and the realities within the city of San Francisco, we saw a real opportunity to work together with St. Mary's and St. Francis. We've been working together over many, many years. This is we've seen our occupancy within our hospitals increase and the wait times for patients trying to get into our hospitals. Uh, we saw the opportunity at St. Mary's and St. Francis to, to leverage a tradition of really caring for the community, uh, to leverage a tradition of understanding the city of San Francisco and a, a workforce, physicians, staff that were so dedicated to their patient populations that we thought there's gotta be some way that we can work together to have a greater impact on the community, take advantage of the resources at St. Mary's and St. Francis and really serve more San Franciscans by working together. And so conversations that have been going on for years uh, resulted in this present transaction, which is to really put the pieces together and have a greater impact on the city of San Francisco. Um, next slide, please. Um, I am going to move through our slides really quickly because the presentations before us said it probably better than the slides I wrote. Um, but, you know, I tried. You see the slides here. Um, uh, but, you know, the, the department's presentation was, was color-coded and a little bit better. Um, so I, I just want to make clear here that the, uh, we want to make healthcare services more accessible to all San Franciscans. You saw the occupancy data that was in the prior presentation. There are so many licensed beds at St. Mary's and St. Francis that could have a greater impact if only we could make the investments in the programs, the services, and the people. And that's what UCSF Health is committing to do. We're gonna make those investments. But let's just talk about the basics. We're gonna retain all of the services that are offered by both hospitals. In many cases, we see those services need to be grown 
because there are significant patient populations that still could benefit from those services. We're gonna retain the medical staff. So if you have a doctor today at St. Mary's or a doctor here at, at St. Francis, you'll be able to continue to see that same doctor, whether or not they're a UCSF faculty member or not. Um, we're going to continue to retain all of the employees that are part of St. Mary's and St. Francis. There aren't any layoffs planned as part of this transaction. In fact, our vision is if you want to see more patients in these hospitals, you're gonna have to not only retain the staff that you have, but then grow the staff. And that's our plan. And then you're gonna have to make some investments. You know, as Darren brought up, the last several years have brought uh, financial challenges to St. Mary's and St. Francis, which has resulted in uh, less investment within their missions than they would like to. And what we would like to do is to fill in that gap. And so coming in, one of our major goals is gonna to be to make those investments. And as we discussed uh, in earlier presentations, the emergency room is probably gonna be an area of focus and other uh, services uh, uh, and facilities and equipment um, that we could do. But one thing we wanna to emphasize today is that we are, through this acquisition, creating a new division at UCSF Health. Uh, the traditional academic medical center tends to focus on the most complex patients. That's why you heard that 20% of, uh, only 26% of our uh, patient population at our main hospitals is from the city of San Francisco. Why are the other patients there? They're there because they've traveled near and far to be able to receive complex care that they may not be able to receive in their own community hospital, whether that's transplants, whether that's neurosurgery, whether that's cardiovascular care, cancer care, whatever that may be, that's been the traditional focus. We also have significant training programs um, where we train not only physicians, but also nurses, um, as well as pharmacists. That's a big part of the mission. But when we acquire St. Mary's and St. Francis, we really view this as a new community division, one that is focused on the citizens of San Francisco, one that is focused not just on complex services, but the services that the community most needs. And it's really gonna be built not as an extension of the work that's done today at St. Mary's in San Francisco, but it's gonna be augmented by the resources and staff uh, and skills of UCSF. And so what we really see here is the best of both worlds. You take two uh, separate uh, healthcare systems that have long had uh, a, a, an excellent tradition in the city and put them together. And what we think we can do together, we don't think either one of us could have done on our own. I'm here to tell you that we are only able to provide this kind of community-based care by welcoming in colleagues like St. Mary's and St. Francis that can show us um, how to do this at a more community-based level. But nonetheless, UCSF is gonna not only bring in investment, but bring in specialists and bring in other services that are gonna support the patients that are being seen today at those hospitals. So for San Francisco, we think that at a minimum, we're gonna preserve emergency rooms, enhance behavioral health, and provide more access to important services in the city. For UCSF Health, there is a, a challenge. Today, we um, experience on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis, uh, hundreds of patients that we have to turn away from other hospitals in the city and around the Bay Area. We're trying to transfer in um, because we don't have the beds. We think that by leveraging uh, St. Mary's and St. Francis, we'll be able to accept a lot more of these patients into UCSF and provide that complex care that many um, Californians depend on us for. So um, it, to make this uh, transition a reality, um, we've tried to do two things. Number one is to continue to maintain the relationships with community-based organizations at St. Mary's and St. Francis 
um, uh, continue to work with today. We want to continue to maintain those relationships and enhance that. want to thank uh, the many community organizations that have provided us letters of support uh, for this transaction as we've been able to work with many of them. But there are still many other organizations, uh, given that it's very early state of uh, planning for the transition. So there's still a lot more work to do. The second thing we realized is that we need um, different leadership to lead this division. And so what we have done is uh, named Shelby DaCosta, um, who's our president of our affiliate network, to be the leader over this division. We picked her very, very intentionally. She's one of those unique leaders that understands academic medicine really well. She's worked at UCSF now for many years. But prior to working here, she worked for community hospitals. And she understands uh, dignity. She understands uh, community-based care and the private practice of medicine. And so what we really wanted was a leader that could lead this division that's really going to put that kind of expertise to bear. And so I'm going to let her uh, come up here and lead us through the uh, following slides. I'm going to just go ahead and uh, allow her to skip through the, the remainder of mine. Okay. Thank you, commissioners, for having us here today. And maybe we could go to the next slide, and I'll just kind of skip to the transaction. Um, and that would be, I think, slide seven. And before I jump into it, uh, Suresh mentioned that I did have experience in community health. It's true, I've been here at UCSF for about nine years, and I've loved every minute of it. I also worked in community health systems prior to that for about 10 years, and I loved every minute of that. And then this might be too much information, but I grew up in Honolulu, and we almost exclusively have community hospitals. So I truly value what it does. And I know that the majority of healthcare is provided in the community. And as special as UCSF is, which I only learned because my family had to travel from Hawaii to come to UCSF for complex care, special as it is, we really rely on the community hospitals. And it's sort of with that humility that I negotiated the deal on behalf of UCSF Health with the very familiar organization to me, uh, Dignity Health. And I'll talk a little bit about things that maybe were not said, because I, I think you've heard our commitments. I think you understand the models. And uh, I also want to address some of the questions that were sent to us so that we could be um, as efficient as possible. A question that was asked is related to payers and how this works, that we will actually have a community division and that we can truly commit to the affordable care that UCSF says we're going to. And the way we're going to do that is we are going to contract separately. And we are keeping the entity that is St. Francis Memorial Hospital today so that we can keep all of the contracts. Now, as you know, it takes two organizations to sign off, but we are compelling all of the payers uh, and, and all the partners to trust us and to work with us and to leave the contracts as they are so that we can continue services. It is in fact true that many of the services provided at St. Francis and St. Mary's are not provided at all at UCSF Health. So if we were to try to use UCSF Health contracts, they wouldn't even be there because we have not provided them. And in fact, we work collaboratively in many of the programs that are provided in these hospitals today, including the Crestwood Behavioral Health Rehab where we made a capital contribution and continue to support uh, that program among others. Um, 
another point that I'll make is that uh, we are planning to make investments. And this is in the neighborhood of about 75 to 100 million just in year one. The time frame is immediate. And I'll talk a little bit about why we need some time to understand the total time frame for all of the investments. But there are some critical equipment purchases that need to be made. There are some facilities upgrades that need to be made. We're very focused on doing everything we have to do without completely disrupting all of the operations there. So while we have a list, and I can almost guarantee that'll be more than $100 million, there are some things we have to do right away, and that's what we are focused on. Next slide. I think this has been said a few times, but we are excited to build on the great legacy that is in place at these two hospitals and their associated clinics. We have been partnering in several areas, but we see immediate opportunities to continue to bolster our hospital medicine program, which we work together on today. And in fact, that hospital medicine program is the host program to the graduate medical education uh, program that's based at St. Mary's and a program we've been working together on for about five years now. We do also see opportunities to uh, see more of uh, the cardiology patients and surgery patients that today wait pretty long to get into UCSF Health. And we think we can help to create more access using the facilities uh, at St. Mary's and St. Francis. And I mentioned we're still working through uh, what the status of equipment is. And we also know that these two hospitals are two of the few hospitals that are not on EPIC and we are developing a plan to also bring them onto the UCSF Health instance of EPIC, which we believe will just be better for patient continuity and care. Next slide. Uh, I mentioned that we are really focused on making some immediate improvements, and that's really because safety and stability and supporting the people who have worked at these hospitals for many years are a priority. We are planning on about a two-year integration process. It may take longer. We don't know, but our best guess is that it'll take us approximately two years to get all of the systems and infrastructure and other support in place. Um, and we're still working on that plan, but it is a plan that's centered on supporting people and the way that we're doing that is by minimizing disruption. So a lot of people have asked us what's gonna be different on day one. We hope not too much actually. And we're working really carefully with Dignity Health to continue to use some of the systems that they have in place, even though we will be the new owners so that we minimize that disruption. And that means some of the systems are gonna be different than what we have at UCSF Health just initially, and we will change that over time. And as I mentioned, we're asking everyone to honor the contracts that are in place because that's what we intend to do. And another way that we are honoring the history, but also the newness of this relationship is by keeping the names. And uh, while there is a little bit of an adjustment, these are going to be UCSF Health, St. Francis Hospital and UCSF Health, St. Mary's Hospital, which we think is a great way to signify that UCSF Health is a part of these hospitals now, but we still want patients to be familiar with these hospitals that many have been uh, seen for a long time. It's the same reason why we are keeping the open medical staff model 
something that we believe will allow patients to see their physicians that have been at these hospitals for a very long time. Next slide. Uh, we've talked a lot about the uh, programs that are at St. Francis and St. Mary's and uh, at UCSF Health, we find this to be extremely complimentary. I think there's a lot more for us to learn, uh, but what we do know is that we're excited to keep all of the programs that are in place today. And we do hope that we can build on them while our first order of uh, business is to not disrupt them, we are also listening. And in fact, we had a team on site today to learn more about what staff and physicians feel like they would appreciate having as UCSF enters uh, these hospitals. Next slide. Um, as I mentioned, our work is just beginning. We hope that uh, we can make this transition as early as the end of March. We don't know. There are lots of filings that have to happen uh, before we can actually um, transition these hospitals. Um, and so while we are working through that process, we're also working on the uh, planning for day one, creating communication plans, engaging the leadership and staff and medical staff at these hospitals to learn more about their culture and to share a little bit about ours. And we'll continue to do the same with you, with others, with the community members. And we're learning a lot about not only what we think uh, should be done at these hospitals, but also what we can do better at UCSF Health. And we welcome the feedback and we do think we will be better as a system with both community and academic assets and operations. Next. This is a list of some of the stakeholders that we have talked to. Um, a lot of our integration planning is a reflection of what we've heard. And we do uh, actually better understand after these meetings that these hospitals are more than hospitals to the communities that they serve. They uh, host a lot of programs that support directly the community. They support a lot of vulnerable populations. And we continue to learn more about who those partners are and what these hospitals have done. And we want to build upon those things that are even outside of the walls of what's provided here. I think my next slide might be the last one. And we've said it a few times, but we are really excited about this transition. We value St. Mary's and St. Francis and all the people that work there. We think UCSF will be better because of this addition. We also think San Francisco will be better and that will ultimately elevate healthcare altogether. And so uh, we're happy to take any questions that you might have about the transaction and um, we'll also be happy to come back for the recommendations and give you updates uh, should this all move forward. Well, thank you everyone for all the work and thought that went into these presentations. And it, it's so good to know that our mission and your mission are identical to make healthcare more accessible to everyone in San Francisco. So we're very appreciative of all this information. We have some public comment, which we'll start with. And we are very honored to have former health commissioner president, uh, Sonia Millar here. So we'll start, we'll, we'll get three people lined up. We'll start with her and then I have, and, I'm sorry if I say this wrong. It looks like Del Seymour and uh, Christian Garcia. So we'll take those as our first three commenters. 
And everyone, please remember um, that when the buzzer goes off, your time is up. Madam President, members of the commission, uh, Director Colfax, Mark, hi. And it's great to see Commissioner Chung and Commissioner Chow. Um, uh, it is, uh, one day I was sitting at, at your, uh, in one of those chairs, listening to another Prop Q uh, transition and um, I had a lot of questions about it. Uh, there's no question in my mind that this one is one that deserves uh, your blessing, actually. Um, I was uh, at that time and continue to be the director of Raleigh Family Visitation Services. Uh, Raleigh Family Visitation Services is a program that was started as a collaboration between St. Francis Hospital and the family court system here in San Francisco. As a, it was a non-medical program of the hospital, it's a program that provides supervised visitation services to families referred um, by the family court uh, due to separation or divorce when there is high conflict, especially domestic violence. In the last year, in the last 30 years, which is when St. Francis adopted this, um, we have served many families. Uh, just last year, uh, in the last year, we served about 500 families. Um, Raleigh is the only program of this kind and uh, in the entire Bay Area and possibly the state. During my tenure, which has been 20 years now, uh, we have expanded services to San Mateo and Marin counties. Uh, over the past year, we have continued to serve families, even after the pandemic, uh, you know, at great cost to the, to the hospital uh, and with great uh, problems because we went from providing a lot of services in person to, uh, uh, online and trying to continue these services. Hopefully we have continued to improve the mental health of children and their families in those communities. Um, how, and so I would say that none of this would have happened without the support and commitment of St. Francis Hospital. And I'm so pleased to hear the UCSF Health will continue the program at the facility because without that, uh, this program would disappear probably. And so I, I think that this is one of the best uh, mergers that I have seen. And at a personal level, these are my, uh, I receive my healthcare through St. Francis and UCSF. And so I look forward to staying there. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Hi, my name is, hi, Doug, and commission. My name is Dale Seymour. Been in San Francisco in the Tenderloin for 38 years. I'm not sure if I'm bragging or complaining about that now. Let me make it clear. But a lot of things in this city don't make any sense. This does. This makes perfect automatic sense of this collaboration, because it's all about collaboration. <laughs> you know, St. Francis, which we're afraid of losing, if we wouldn't have got this collaboration going on, we, we can't lose St. Francis. 
St. Francis sits on the edge of the most traumatic neighborhood in the state of California. Being injured in the Tenderloin is a time thing. Four minutes to St. Francis, 12 minutes to Zuckerberg. Eight minute difference. That's life and death. We can't chance that. You know, and I can personally attest to that. I was stabbed a block away from St. Francis. When I got to the hospital emergency room, I found out later my blood pressure was 22 over 11. Doctor told me two more minutes, you wouldn't be here. So it's important that we get this collaboration. Another example I can give about me, I'm a veteran. Eight years ago, I contracted stage four prostate cancer. The VA Medical Center said, we don't have the capacity to treat you, but we know someone that does. They sent me to Mission Bay. Here I am eight years later. Can't run around the block, but I can walk around the block. Thanks to an organization being in this city that could help. You know, we're so near, St. Francis is so near the Tenderloin. We have the busiest fire station in the United States in the Tenderloin on Postry. And that, that fire station handles mostly medical calls. So this acquisition is necessary. I think they'll handle it well. I've sat on the Tenderloin, I mean, I've sat on the St. Francis Tenderloin Systems Board for 10 years. So I got a dog in this race. I love St. Francis. I know what they do for our neighborhood. UCSF, because when COVID came in, one benefit we, we got from COVID, if you want to call that being a benefit, is the fact that we in the Tenderloin has, the low, has one of the lowest infection rates in the United States. Thanks to UCSF came on the block the first day with testing and inoculations. And we really appreciate it. What we learned from that episode with COVID is health means more than checking my blood pressure. It means, do I have a job? Do I have a home? Do I have a relationship that's healthy? All those things we've learned from UCSF being on the ground. So we, this, this, is, this is like a marriage made, made in heaven. And I'm so glad that you've listened to all the documentations and the presentations, and I'm sure that you'll help support this acquisition because this is really a win-win. A lot of stuff ain't a win-win. Somebody loses and everything. I don't see a loss here. I see nothing but a win-win for our citizens, our people on the streets, our medical institutions, and our reputation, which hasn't been the best lately. Your time's up, sir. Thank you for the time. Thank you for some of the best public comments we've heard in a while. Good evening, Commissioners. Uh, my name is Christian Garcia, Vice President of Government Relations and Communications for Planned Parenthood Northern California. Very long title. Um, I am here just to show our support for this acquisition in a time when reproductive health care services, abortion services, and gender affirming care are under attack. This acquisition, by removing the policy of restricting services, allows for expansion of services in San Francisco. Normally, I'm having to go to these meetings and have to convince commissioners not to approve a religious-based institution from coming in and taking over a public hospital or a community-based hospital. Uh, but in this situation, it's a no-brainer. So as a part of my organization and all the health workers that are on the ground providing these essential services, we are very glad this is coming through and we are here to support this effort. So thank you. Thank you. So the next three names I have are Susan Mayorki, Ruben Chavez, and Deanna Lon. 
good evening. Uh, it's interesting to hear the, the other community, con uh, community comment. And thank you for the opportunity to provide my comment. My name is Susan Murphy. I'm a longtime San Francisco resident, a neighbor of the UCSF Parnassus campus, a member of their community advisory group, and a retired health policy consultant. Um, my bottom line is this transaction is going through. My interest is to assure that it will improve the outcomes through health delivery in San Francisco in the near term, beyond the near term that is outlined in the presentations. My worst case scenario is that despite best intentions, great effort, strategy, and operational improvements implemented by knowledgeable and skilled administrators, UCSF may determine it is not a prudent business decision to invest in full seismic compliance. And the city will be facing downsizing of one or both hospitals beyond 2030. A possible other outcome which might be a good, which could be a good outcome, may be to right size the investment um, going forward. My major concerns are once the transaction is complete, the new community hospital entity will be a, owned by UCSF and be considered a public hospital. Based on my understanding, it will no longer be subject to Prop Q or to many of the state regulatory approval authorities. Second, uh, we need to have additional information on what additional steps UCSF will take to build the community hospital capability in the near, <clears throat> near term and beyond 2030, particularly in the area of, of primary and adult internal medicine. We also need additional information on the strategies to meet the financial projections that anticipate profits in year two when we have two hospitals that have been losing tens of millions of dollars over the last couple of years. And third, as I've already indicated, to clarify the UCSF commitment to assure the hospitals will meet 2030 seismic requirements. Um, I request the commission consider the following additions. Request UCSF to voluntarily report on the progress of the acquisition. I suspect they will be very willing to do this. Clarify the structure of the new combined dignity community division entity and the role of UCSF in such activities as negotiating new insurer contracts. And three, this is a little bit wonky, uh, request that St. Mary's and St. Francis maintain separate hospital and clinical licenses and reporting for financial utilization, quality, and other data to state agencies such as the DPH and the Office of Healthcare Accountability. In short, I your time is up. DPH recommendation for oh, actually, your time periodic is periodic reporting. Um, I have a longer memo that I've submitted that provides more background. Thank you. Yes, and and commissioners, you have that memo, <clears throat> Mr. Chavez. Oh, good evening. Um, my name is Ruben Chavez. I'm the deputy director of Curry Senior Center in the Tenderloin. I want to thank you for having me. Um, Curry Senior Center has been working with um, St. Francis Med uh, Memorial Hospital since we opened our doors in 1972, so we have a long history. Um, we work together to provide uh, health and community-based support for low-income older adults, ensuring that they have um, everything that they need to remain living independently in the Tenderloin and the Civic Center districts or neighborhoods. Um, Curry Senior Center supports the acquisition of St. Uh, Francis and St. Mary's 
by UCSF, which we also have a relationship with. Uh, we believe St. Francis will be stronger, and with this acquisition, we'll be able to maintain its community-based approach, as has been mentioned tonight. So again, uh, we're all for this, and we appreciate uh, being here, and uh, thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioners. Um, my name is Dina Lawn. I'm the Vice President of Policy and External Affairs for the San Francisco Community Clinic Consortium. Uh, for those of you not familiar with our work, we're 12 nonprofit health centers in San Francisco, serving approximately 112,000 uh, mostly very low income patients. I'm here to voice my support for the acquisition of St. Francis Memorial and St. Mary's by the University of California, San Francisco. We believe that this deal is important to ensure that two of San Francisco's longest serving community hospitals will remain financially viable. Uh, we believe that bringing St. Francis and St. Mary's into the health system will expand access to UCSF's health, internationally renowned experts, and highly specialized innovative care. Uh, we're very pleased that UCSF stated its commitment to retaining existing services, ensuring patients have local access for their primary and specialty care needs. We are eager to work even more closely with UCSF and um, have more more cooperation between community health centers and academic medicine. Um, we have the patients, we have the complexity of their care, we know our communities, we speak many languages, they've got the tertiary care and the research-based innovation that's so important. The emergency rooms of both hospitals are critical to the communities in the surrounding neighborhoods um, because even though it seems like San Francisco is very small, for very low income and often marginally housed people, travel to Zuckerberg still can be prohibitive. Thus, we are pleased to hear that UCSF is committed to keeping the emergency departments at St. Francis and St. Fra at St. Francis and St. Mary's Medical Center open and fully staffed. Um, we are eager to continue to build on our existing work to make sure that the next generation of healthcare providers trained by UCSF, including doctors, nurses, dentists, and behavioral health specialists, will be exposed to the importance of working in community-based medicine. And we look forward to working with UCSF on that and other projects. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I believe I only have one more um, request on this item, and it is from San, San Francisco Gray Panthers. Hi, Ann Colatita, San Francisco Gray Panthers. So this is another one of our long time uh, consolidations, concerns of the San Francisco Gray Panthers. Uh, we'll think back to uh, when St. Luke's consolidated, you know, and this, this whole thing now has an air of inevitability about it and rush too. So um, as our first speaker suggests, we hope that, that the commission will have a, um, you know, a monitoring or some kind of accountability for the for the all the promises they're making. I mean, it sounds great, but you know, it also sounds like a sales job, really. So, um, and uh, and I think it's wonderful. I love UC. These hospitals are great, but it's all in the details, and we know that. So, thank you so much for um, keeping an eye on them. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Now, is there anyone on the remote line? Yes, we've got two. Jaime, please um, uh, unmute caller ten. Caller, let us know that you're there, please. Hi, uh, it's Dr. Teresa Palmer. Um, I um, am here to actually worry about this merger. I, I think um, everything that's being said sounds really good, but we know that the history of a big hospital taking over little hospitals in San Francisco 
has resulted in big promises and subsequently um, cuts to mental health care, cuts to geriatric care, and, and urgent care, especially for underserved communities, and shutdown of hospitals. Uh, we've lost Children's Hospital. Um, we've lost a lot of the um, culturally sensitive uh, services to the underserved at St. Luke's. Uh, and we've lost acute care and long-term uh, any rehab beds. Um, given the cool past cuts and services underserved when hospital systems merge in San Francisco, I really would like it if the health commission put in stronger wording um, into its resolution rather than basically talking about periodic updates. Here's the I would like to hear. The Health Commission advocates for the underserved in San Francisco and will closely monitor the fate of much needed programs, services, and staff. The Health Commission requests a quarterly update with specific information on services unique to St. Francis and St. Mary's. We hope to find that needed services will be enhanced and indeed will never be sacrificed to an emphasis on the generation of revenue, ejection of the underserved, and capture of the most lucrative market share. The, um, I must say that the, um, the incentive is really uh, to capture the most lucrative market share and not to serve the underserved and just to push them in the direction of the public system um, and um, get the people with the great insurance. This is what's happened with all other hospital mergers and the health commission really must monitor this closely and ask hard questions. I know you have no power to change anything, but you do have the power to shame people that are breaking their promises. And this is really your duty um, to uphold um, care for the most needed services in San Francisco. Thank you very much. All right, thank you so much, Dr. Palmer. And um, I may please um, unmute caller seven. It's Patrick Monette Shaw. On a personal note, it's extremely important UCSF continue outpatient services at St. Francis Memorial Hospital, where I was diagnosed with squamous cell skin cancer in August 2022 and subsequently had cancer excision surgery performed by St. Francis Hospital's Chief of Surgery, Dr. Walter Lynn, and St. Francis expert oncologist, Dr. Clifford Chu. Dr. Lynn specializes in microsurgery. It was he and his team who harvested a skin and fat graft from my right thigh to cover the wound left on my right cheek following the cancer excision, ensuring adequate blood flow to ensure the graft succeeded. I was followed for a year by Dr. Lynn as an outpatient at the Bunk Clinic co-located near the St. Francis Orthopedic and Sports Medicine Institute on the 11th floor. Dr. Lynn eventually performed my face it is critical UCSF guarantee continued operation of Dr. Lynn's clinic and retain Lynn's excellent surgical leadership as chief of surgery. Thank you. That is the last public comment. Thank you. Thank you. How about a commissioner questions or comments? Commissioner Gerardo. 
Thank you. And thank you for the presentation at this hour. <laughs> I appreciate it. I am, I have a concern that I'd like to address in both the, um, our, the, our health department presentation under patients. It was to honor all insurance arrangements that are presently available at St. Francis and St. Mary's. And then in your, the UCSF one was payers will be asked to honor their existing agreements applicable to the hospitals in order to maintain the services that are provided today. My concern is behavioral health services. At currently at UCSF, psychiatric and behavioral health services are not available to Medi-Cal patients. Langley Porter and any other behavioral and psychiatric services. I am most concerned that in this agreement um, between that we are looking at um, under the um, resolution, the page three, where it has UCSF, UCSFH has stated it will continue to honor all insurance arrangements that are presently available at St. Francis and St. Mary's. And the patients will continue to have access to all services and providers they have today. This does not address the future. And I am most concerned that this agreement possibly for your consideration would continue within that bullet point that you have in the resolution that, um, that the agreement will continue to honor Medi-Cal in all behavioral health programs in the future with no consideration of negotiation or deletion. I am most concerned of uh, the patients since the psychiatric and behavioral health services at UCSF currently for adolescents and children have been shrunk. And so I am not comfortable that there is not some, and you can put it in legalese language or whatever, that um, there is a continued guarantee of medic, uh, behavioral health services uh, at St. Mary's and St. Francis that will accept Medi-Cal patients. That's a real concern I have. Okay. I think it's a valid concern and we can submit additional information, but I'm going to, I'm not a lawyer. I'm just going to, neither am I really, really simple is that today St. Mary's and St. Francis are a separate company than UCSF and they have right. separate contracts. And as a result of this transaction, that company is being maintained and the contracts are being maintained. And so the contract holder uh, is an entity that is different than the rest of UCSF. Okay. If that some way how, and I'm not a lawyer either, but that there is language in this document that addresses Medi-Cal for in behavioral health services, because it is a concern um, that Macaulay 
St. Francis inpatient adult will fade in their Medi-Cal renewal contract. I know, but I'd really like to see that in part of this. No problem. Okay, and if that for the next Prop Q hearing, if that could possibly be in the documentation, um, I would be more comfortable with um, with the resolution in in going forward. Yeah, that was unintentional. We can make it clear. Thank you. Uh, I'm sorry. May I jump in and piggyback on that thought to help uh, close the loop? Sure. And I apologize. I, I don't usually jump in, but so how will they be maintained? Will they have set, will they make, will the licenses be maintained? How will that legally actually organizationally happen? Licenses will be maintained, but more specifically, the legal entity that owns the contract is still being maintained too. Okay. Thank you. I just wanted to make sure we just vote. So Mark, I'm going to jump in too. Can you make that clear in your uh, additions and edits so that it is crystal clear how that's going to happen and whether or not the contract, I mean, I don't know how, what the term of the contracts that they have. I don't know when they get renegotiated as a matter of course and what is the intent of UC at that time. Yeah, the intent is to renew. And if that could be in writing, that'd be great. No, well, we'll be happy to provide the clarification. In writing, please. <laughs> oh, of course. Thank you, Mr. Chung. Uh, yeah, so I, I think that you kind of like um, um, answer my questions is about the renewal of these contracts. But then it didn't sound like there is some referral systems for medical patients to go to the main UCSF hospital. Is that correct, Sam? We see a lot of medical patients at the main UCSF campus today. Oh, you do? We do. We see it. We see many. I think we were specifically talking about behavioral health. Oh, yeah. And so at, at Langley Porter today, because of historical federal licensing around the size of our inpatient unit, we today are unable to accept Medi-Cal into that unit in the same manner that others are. And we're currently in a process working with the state to amend that. Our intent is to see behavioral health patients and across all of our missions, we today see Medi-Cal patients. We see all patients regardless of their ability to pay. This is a legacy that we are working on rectifying for Langley Porter. But to answer specifically your question, if it is about behavioral health, um, today we will maintain the contracts as they are at St. Francis and St. Mary's to make sure that there's no disruption to any present patients and that we continue to serve those communities moving forward. Okay, so so moving yes. forward, please. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. So I'm I'm a fan of UCSF. So I just want to be clear here too. And my my grandma, no. my grandmother, um, when he was diagnosed, she was diagnosed with cancer. She actually got her care from St. Francis, and um, and that was like quite a quite a while ago, you know. So I have affinity for um, St. Francis Memorial as well. So look forward to hearing more more coming out from this collaboration. Yeah, and commissioners, if I jump in, just to clarify too, for everybody, because you, you all may be talking about a little different things. The resolution that you all will approve or look at at the next meeting is non-binding. It's something that you all can put in for UCSF to come back and check in, but they're not, so it's not anything in the legalese of what they're actually going to be doing when the, uh, the, the buy, it's just you all. So that's something to consider around how you would like to monitor that and ask them to come back and, and report back, not today, but at, for that meeting. 
Well, it's nice to have the CEO's reassurance. So I think that on on public record, that means something. And I would also say that we also have a board of regents that are public that are very insistent on the same condition as well. So uh, we made a commitment to maintain all of these services and these contracts to our board as well. And so that's public as well. And so we're very committed because it's it's needed in the community. And we actually think creating a behavioral health platform across multiple sites has a lot of value to the community and also to the care teams that work together um, to do this as well. And so um, we're very interested in making sure this happens. Thank you, Commissioner Chow. Uh, thank you. <clears throat> um, I uh, am asking uh, UCSF uh, in regards to this new community division and some of the explanation you gave recently uh, just a, a moment or two ago seems to indicate that you were continuing them as separate institutions. So um, is it then that they would be reporting their work on a separate basis? Uh, this, uh, this came up uh, with the Sutter uh, programs and the question of St. Luke's being uh, able to be monitored in terms of what it was doing in its Medi-Cal work. Uh, and and uh, as of today, they are still uh, separating the data through these uh, 10 years of the uh, development agreement. But uh, I was wondering, is UCSF then going to be, uh, as a community division, developing itself for each of the institutions uh, and not merging the data UCSF? The answer is yes and yes. So the, we will consolidate the financials and results of all of our divisions together, including the community division. So when you hear UCSF Health report on its community impact, when you hear about UCSF Health report on its financials, its employees, its footprint, it will include everything inclusive of the community division. But we will still, based both on the licensing structure and based on our management reporting still be able to segregate the performance of the community division separate and apart from the academic division. And so both for reasons of making sure we're, run, we're do, running a, an operation that meets the needs of the community, as well as our own ability to tell how well we're doing, um, we will be separately um, maintaining that information. Um, and as uh, the secretary has pointed out, as long as they're separately licensed, they'll be reporting requirements across those licenses as well. And that's our plan is to continue to maintain those as separate licenses. Now, what I do want to be honest about is that it is very likely that the St. Mary's and St. Francis reporting is very combined as we move forward. As within the community division, we intend to have a lot of collaboration between both hospitals. And so where our focus is going to be on maintaining the reporting at the community division level, but we will meet all regulatory reporting requirements that are associated with having hospital licenses, as would any other um, licensed facility in the state. But uh, hopefully that uh, answers your question, but happy to clarify. Um, well, it it's, uh, leads to another question then, if uh, we are having separate licenses, then you would then be undergoing the uh, separate accreditation processes and Medicare and so forth in terms of their uh, uh, regulatory uh, oversight and mo and uh, uh, monitoring. That is correct. 
Okay, uh, and and is this a new division that you started, or are there uh, examples of other facilities in which you have done this in yet with uh, private hospitals? No, this would be the first time for UCSF Health. Ah, okay, okay, uh, that's helpful. Uh, would you be open? Um, I, I, I do believe, like um, uh, Commissioner Chung had said, that there is value to Prop Q and stating clearly what you had all declared to us as we declare whether it is or is not uh, uh, beneficial uh, or detrimental, depending on which way you want to uh, actually uh, state the uh, resolution in the future. Uh, and. And uh, even though it is not binding, it is often cited as being the public uh, position that was taken. So uh, uh, we, uh, you know, don't stop you from <laughs> but we are holding you accountable in the public arena for certain items. So we really appreciate the collaboration that you are talking about with the other hospital programs and uh, staffing uh, two concerns that we have had here. Uh, and we're wondering if uh, you would be open to then uh, us uh, specifying more, more uh, in detail a reporting mechanism back to the commission, which would then help like uh, also understand the progress being made. Yeah, I think we should have our staffs work together to figure out what's the most meaningful way to do that. Um, I certainly think that given um, the fact that UCSF is a public institution, there's a lot of reporting we do in general that is public that um, may or may not be satisfactory to you. So we can certainly um, have our teams collaborate and see what the, the right level of reporting is. But we are a public institution. We have no, uh, we have no qualms about being transparent about how we're performing. Okay, yeah, no, I, I think the issue would be how we're performing in terms, you're performing in terms of the key transaction. And now I think we, we need to add the uh, mental health uh, programs uh, into this because uh, uh, as, as we're doing this integration, that would uh, help us and the public understand that uh, UC is carrying out the uh, uh, intent that they have here, or if not, then why not? Uh, so, uh, which is different than, of course, public reporting to regulatory agencies. So I really would appreciate that. Um, sure. Uh, I, I do have some uh, suggestions, which I will uh, uh, provide to the secretary later in terms of the uh, different whereas, especially in light of the discussion going on here. Uh, as we uh, 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 look at the uh, resolution, unless you wanted to take some of those now, but uh, I, I think it would be good to see a revised resolution with some of the suggestions that I've already submitted and uh, which the commission also has spoken to and may wish to also submit uh, prior to us uh, coming together again. And I think it would be good that we work this with UC and St. Mary's uh, Francis to be sure that uh, it can be uh, acceptable to everybody. Commissioners, due to the time, I suggest that we do the the wordsmithing of the resolutions via email, and then you all can discuss at the next meeting since we have other things we have to get to as well. I have no problem with that, and and, and I think we would uh, like to see several iterations of this uh, to be sure that everybody's uh, 
desires are actually then uh, added in and that we also have a uh, consent uh, or if not, at least know where the dissent may be from uh, the um, uh, parties involved. Commissioner Guillermo. Thank you. Um, as, uh, I know that there's limited time because uh, everybody's hungry, but I did want to be able to um, make some comments. I'm not going to address the infrastructure or legal issues uh, at this time. Uh, there's, there's plenty I'm sure that you're subject to with the AG uh, alone. Uh, and so, although it is a question that I have in terms of what is the impact of anything the AG might have to say with the with this acquisition relative to the comments that you've heard uh, from folks today. Uh, but I do want to say as somebody who is uh, affiliated with uh, Dignity Health uh, and Common Spirit until just recently uh, and knowing uh, how hard uh, both entities uh, worked over the years uh, to come together sincerely to serve the interests of San Francisco, but also being very realistic about the impacts of the healthcare delivery system that both of these entities represent, particularly in California and particularly in San Francisco, probably the most complex uh, and the most difficult set of uh, issues and problems to solve um, uh, throughout the country in terms of what we're facing now. And so uh, it would be difficult to try to hold uh, any sincere effort uh, at this to conditions that we don't know uh, are the, uh, that might, we might face in the future. Uh, but I do believe that with what you've said today uh, and what you commit to um, is sincere. Uh, and I do know that um, there is support from the founding sisters of St. Mary's for this uh, and uh, the medical staff uh, previous owners of St. Francis uh, to this uh, acquisition. So want to support um, what the historical um, uh, interests and stakeholders uh, have uh, because they are still around. And so they are, it's not like they're sort of some uh, historical uh, um, artifact that doesn't exist. But the reality of what the needs are in San Francisco uh, and what uh, the excess capacity that can be created from this acquisition uh, has more promise than detriment, I believe. Uh, notwithstanding all the concerns around seismic and the cost that that's going to uh, hold, uh, being able to maintain license uh, quality and safety standards uh, for the kinds of um, patients that you're going to be increasingly seeing, I think, uh, at both uh, sites, particularly the, the uninsured, uh, the Medi-Cal and the Medicare most vulnerable uh, populations in San Francisco, which historically has been the mission of both St. Mary's and St. Francis. And I hope to see uh, that mission uh, expanded uh, throughout uh, the UC system uh, that operates at least here in San Francisco. My understanding and my experience from past uh, involvement in uh, hospital system mergers, um, I guess as well as hospital mergers, uh, has to do with and being able to maintain the integrity of the intent uh, to increase access, improve quality uh, and safety has been 
uh, the difficulty in the cultural uh, merger uh, between entities. UCSF is a academic institution and operates in a certain way that is not antithetical uh, to community hospitals, but certainly is not familiar. Uh, and so I do think that that culture that is embedded in the mission of the hospitals is something that really can't be taken lightly uh, when, com when uh, Dignity Health and um, uh, CHI merged into Common Spirit. One of the things that was done was a cultural audit uh, that really tried to level set the missions uh, of both entities. And so I would offer that as something that you might want to take a look at and see where there are uh, opportunities for uh, that culture and that uh, sense of mission to align even more uh, definitively. Really glad to hear that, uh, that there won't be any change in the staffing, the workforce, and in fact, there might be expansion. I do have questions about whether leadership will be able to maintain their leadership roles because the history of uh, the leadership, I think, at both hospitals uh, uh, is one of wanting to serve the community very, very deeply and oftentimes without any reward uh, and without any acknowledgement uh, and often with a lot of criticism. Uh, so uh, that is something that we, you know, again, uh, hope to see, uh, even though, and, and I think that the, the last thing that I'll say is the opportunity for St. Francis and St. Mary's to finally now merge their data, their operations, uh, there, I mean, this is decades, maybe, I think, given how old the hospitals are, uh, a centennial sort of event <laughs> to have the two hospitals be able to now, it's an opportunity to merge uh, truly uh, under the, uh, um, the opportunities that um, are presented with this merger. So there's still a lot of questions, uh, and we would still like to see uh, a lot of um, uh, uh, information about how this is going to happen uh, and regular updates, maybe not quarterly, but certainly uh, quite regularly, particularly after the AG weighs in. Uh, and so um, just want to voice, uh, I know this was probably a longer comment than anybody wanted or expected, but uh, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity to talk about uh, uh, these historical hospitals, uh, St. Mary's in particular for me, so I had sisters that were born there uh, in the old hospital. Uh, so, um, uh, wish you all the best of luck, uh, but please uh, take what you have heard and what you will be hearing very, very seriously, uh, and we will hold you uh, to the extent that we possibly can, and the community will for sure uh, hold you accountable to the promises that you make and to the missions that you want to accomplish. Thank you. Thank you. Actually, Commissioner Gilmore, now that you've been so eloquent, I get to say less. So we really we realize as you've given this presentation how much work has gone into this, how much collaboration. And I think um, when you said intentional, um, I think a lot of things have maybe happened without this kind of forethought and this kind of of um, interest in maintaining the cultures. Um, Commissioner Gamer was talking about St. Mary's. I have a uh, office mate who 70 years ago heard dad was only given privileges as a Chinese surgeon at St. Mary's. Everybody else turned him down for privileges. And I have a son who was in the burn unit at St. Francis for three weeks about a year and a half ago. 
So, you know, these are critical hospitals. Uh, many members of the community have had very positive experiences and you know, we'd like to maintain that. And, and I think the aspect of culture, especially for the community, because we all realize that you absolutely need more beds and it makes perfect sense at an inpatient perspective. But as others have said, you know, the outpatient component, this is something we, we are concerned about, especially the mental health, the medical, and, and some of the patients who, you know, have been hearing about Blue Cross's annual um, issue with UC and worried whether, you know, will now they not be able to go to St. Francis, St. Mary's too. So some of these things I think are, are worth um, uh, explaining in greater detail. So um, we will, re we will uh, recraft the resolution with uh, Commissioner Chow's recommendations and some of the wording, as well as some of the concerns concerns about the um, medical and the mental health. And um, we will, um, uh, we probably would appreciate some kind of update both from our DPH staff as well as UC, perhaps every six months for the first two years, we can we can talk about what works both for the DPH and for UC and, uh, uh, and St. Mary, St. Francis. But um, obviously we've heard from many stakeholders who are enthusiastically in favor. And so I, I suspect the resolution that we have at our next meeting will be positive. So we will, um, we will proceed from there. And we are so grateful for everyone staying at this late hour and for all the information you shared with us. Thank, thank you so much. I also um, wanted to thank um, everybody involved in this effort, including um, the DPH um, policy and planning team, UCSF, Dignity, um, and really for being open to um, the comments from the community and the commission to ensure that we are providing um, the best healthcare in San Francisco, which I know we already do, but we always can do better. So thank you. Thank you. All right, well, I guess we go to our next agenda item, which is the Laguna Honda Hospital and Rehabilitation Rehabilitation Center closure plan and CMS recertification update from Mr. Pickens. Oh, good evening again, commissioners. Pleasure to be back with you um, to provide you with this update on the status of uh, CMS recertification for Laguna Honda Hospital. Next slide. As you recall, we had our Medicare recertification survey in early December of 2023. Uh, that survey served as the uh, required uh, second Medicare care recertification survey uh, in that the Medi-Cal survey from August of that year served as our first Medicare survey. So we completed what's known as the reasonable assurance period uh, when we had that certification in December. Uh, as we shared before, those results uh, over our prior CMS monitoring surveys with less findings and lower uh, scope severity. Consequently, um, we um, drafted and submitted plans of correction to the California Department of Public Health on January 13th and 17th, respectively. Uh, those plans of correction uh, have been reviewed by the California Department of Public Health and have been sent to CMS for their review and is what they are currently. Uh, Next slide. It's, it's important to note that at this time, we are not yet recertified in the Medicare program. Uh, the next step is for CMS and, uh, to uh, approve the plan of correction that is forwarded to them. Uh, then CMS and CDCH will then state uh, that we have successfully completed the plan of correction. And then based upon that, 
CMS will then make a determination as to whether or not Laguna Honda is recertified uh, into the Medicare program uh, once again. So as you can imagine, we uh, remain razor focused on Medicare recertification at this time and our long-term sustainability of the corrective actions and all the processes that have been over the last two years. Okay, uh, next slide. Okay, so I uh, also would like to uh, update you on the status of discharge of residents who no longer require skilled nursing level of care. You will recall in March of last year, 2023, we received specific uh, direction from the Department of Health and Human Services uh, to begin to uh, uh, discharge residents who no longer met skilled nursing uh, level of care and had skilled nursing needs. Uh, we have sent in our teams at Laguna, also including the Department of Homelessness and uh, Supportive Housing and uh, Department of Aging and Adult Services all come together. And since initiating those uh, discharges in April of last year, there have been a total of 22 Laguna Honda residents who no longer had skilled needs that have been discharged uh, to the and currently, there are 45 current Laguna residents in the category of no longer requiring skilled nursing care. Next slide. So that concludes my update uh, to the commission. As always, we uh, provide the JCC uh, a much more detailed update. And, and, um, and as you know, uh, those updates are reported to you uh, via uh, the chair of the Laguna Honda JCC. Happy to uh, take questions or comments at the appropriate time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Is there any public comment? Yes, we've got two hands. Uh, Jaime, please unmute uh, caller 10. Caller 10, please, please let us know that you're there. Hi, it's Dr. Palmer. Um, my question is uh, that we've been told um, at these meetings that even when the hope for Medicare recertification occurs, uh, full readmissions will not resume. And uh, we need, uh, the people of San Francisco need to know what is the plan for resumptions of admissions. At one health commission meeting, there was something called a sustainability transition plan mentioned. And there are also references to tiered readmissions. Well, what does that mean? What will the tier system? San Franciscans in need have a right to know how long they must await a bed. We also need to know what is the written plan for outreach to the survivors of these evictions. Uh, last time it was there will be a plan. Well, what is the plan? And we need outreach to San Franciscans forced out of county for uh, nurse homes during this nearly two-year closure. What is the plan for outreach to out-of-county uh, San Franciscans that were forced to go to Smith's far away from friends and family? It's also notable that there is a class action suit on behalf of Laguna Honda residents now being pursued. Expert testimony attested decades of bad government under multiple mayors, health commissions, and directors of health. 
How will the governance of Laguna Honda change so that this institution does not return to business as usual once the regulators back off? Uh, this whole process has been agonizing. We can't afford to repeat it. We need our public nursing home. Um, do we need uh, to make changes? Um, do we need to have the Board of Supervisors weigh in on the governance? Please advise. All right. Um, thank you. Uh, please unmute caller seven. Pretending LHH's problems with regulatory compliance will eventually magically straighten out on its own will not solve LHH's non-compliance with regulations. As I testified on February 13, 2024, each health commission member must read the Christopher Cherney declaration filed in Superior Court Case CPS 20-517064 involving the Tommy Thompson et al. lawsuit supporting making it a class action case in an upcoming court proceeding on May 24, 2024. Cherney's declaration is a damning indictment of this health commission's collective abject failures as LHH's governing body between 2019 and 2024 involving LHH's patient sexual abuse scandal in 2019. Page 13 of Cherney's declaration stated that 2019 LHH 60-day reform plan authored by Grant Colfax and Troy Williams failed because LHH failed to address its colossal failures of governance and management. This commission failed providing meaningful governance. We have to consider whether this health commission's failures and inaction of LHH's governing body will serve as a lesson to affect meaningful change of you as health commissioners. Lester continued failures of permanent LHH first. San Francisco's Board of Supervisors must act to enact some other independent oversight of governing LHH, since this commission has failed to provide actual governance of close to 20 years. Cherney fingered four commissioners who served during the 2019 patient abuse sex scandal, including commissioners Edward Chow, Cecilia Chung, Lori Green, and Tessie Guillermo, who each remain health commissioners to this day. Let's not forget former health commission president, Dan Bernal, who recently resigned. I agree with Dr. Palmer, shame, shame, on each of you as health commissioners who have contributed to this decades-long problem at LHH. Okay, that is it. Are there any commissioner questions or comments on the Lugana Honda report? Mm -hmm. All right, uh, seeing none, we will go to the director's report. Well, good evening, commissioners. Um, Grant Colfax, health director, you have the director's report in front of you. Um, I would ask you to, to read it. There's lots of stuff going on in the department. Um, just really quickly, great event. Um, with the San Francisco Foundation a couple of weeks ago, several key leaders honored, including Dr. Hammer, uh, the best team, and uh, Dr. Andre Campbell, um, incredible leaders in health. And I also just wanted to call your attention to a lot of uh, work um, and events that the department has been supporting or attending or partnering on with regard to uh, Black History Month. Um, obviously, I'm happy to answer any other questions, but wanted to um, respect the commissioner's time tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Is there any public comment on the director's report? Uh, I see no hands. Any commissioner comments or questions? 
All right, seeing none, we will go to the Joint Conference Committee uh, report from Laguna Honda. Commissioner Guillermo. Okay, I'll make this very short. Uh, we received the executive team report as uh, you have. Uh, so it was essentially the same. We uh, uh, had an HR uh, update and um, were you saying, were you waving goodbye? Okay. <laughs> um, and um, the uh, uh, in closed session, we reviewed the uh, PIPS report and uh, the credentials report. And if I may add, the committee recommended that the full commission approve the two items on the consent calendar. Um, yes, that's all. Coming. Is there any uh, public comment on the Laguna Honda report? Yes, there is one hand. Uh, Jaime, please unmute caller seven. As I testified on February 13, 2024, you must each read Cherney's Tommy Thompson lawsuit declaration because on page 8, he asserted LHH's regulatory deficiencies were rare in scope and severity for SNF, primary due this governing body's abject failures. On page 30, Cherney asserted the $30.6 million in resulting consulting fees, legal fees. I am not hearing. Okay, so that's the end of the comment. Thank you. All right. Then the next item is the consent calendar, and you have before you the items we um, have been recommended by the Lagoon Honda JCC to approve. And I gather we need a motion for approval. I so move to approve the consent calendar. Second. Any public comment on the consent calendar? I see no hands. I'm going to give it 10 seconds. There's a hand. Uh, Jaime, please unmute caller seven. Please begin. Mr. Minetron, I see a hand, but I'm not hearing anything. Obviously, when any LHH patient's wheelchair becomes inoperable, whether a personally owned LHH facility provided a standard or custom wheelchair due to needing wheelchair repairs, they're at risk of losing their mobility and in many cases essentially become bed-bound, reduced to being unable to get out of bed. There have sometimes been reports of LHH patient wheelchairs malfunctioning without repairs for weeks at a time. Indeed, I recall that CMS slash CDPH issued citations against LHH before, during, and after LHH was decertified in April 2022, alleging LHH was neglecting patients' health care because their inoperable wheelchairs weren't being repaired in a timely manner. While this health commission is theoretically barred from interfering in LHH's day-to-day -day operations, this commission should nonetheless recommend that any and all LHH wheelchair policies and procedures include strong language that wheelchair repairs should receive number one priority for use of the LHH patient gift fund to patients fund wheelchair repairs. All right, thank you. All right, so we'll do roll call vote. Yes, uh, Commissioner Chow. Yes. Commissioner Guillermo. Yes. Commissioner Green. Yes. Commissioner Gerardo. Commissioner Christian. Yes. And Commissioner Chung. Yes. The items on the consent calendar have been approved. Thank you. Now, I wonder if, it, if I can have permission perhaps to put off the Community and Public Health Committee update. Do yeah. any of the commissioners have hesitancy? Is that all right? Yes. 
All right, then we will table that to the next meeting. And now we'll ask if there's any other business. Any public comment? Any public comment for other business? Item 13. Waiting a second. I see no hands. All right. We'll entertain a motion to adjourn. So moved. Second. Allowed the roll call vote. We'll start with Commissioner Chow. Yes. Commissioner Chung. Uh, yes. Commissioner Christian. Yes. Commissioner Gerardo. Yes. Commissioner Guillermo. Yes. And Commissioner President yeah. Green. Yes. Thank okay, you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone.